Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is kind of an asterisk for the movies I generally pick for Staff Picks. This one does not fit the pattern because it is very recent. In fact, as of the... uh, as of the recording date today, this movie is only about two years old, which is makes it, I believe, the most recent movie I have ever featured on Staff Picks. And the movie I'm talking about is the uh, soon-to-be cult classic, if it's not already a cult classic, wonderful film Jojo Rabbit from 2019, a movie that uh, could best be described as audacious. You, you cannot really believe this movie exists if you've never seen it before. But I happen to be really high on it. Um, I think it's a really magical and special movie. And that's why I kind of broke my rule here. The, the rule on staff picks is a movie has to be 10 years old before I delve into it. I saw Jojo Rabbit, I know, in, in 2019, late 2019. And I'm like, I'm going to talk about this one immediately. I'm not going to wait 10 years for this one because people have to know about this movie. So I'm assuming most of you have probably seen it. But if you've, you've, you've not, you're in for a treat. This is a, a uh, we'll just say, unique movie. And my guest for this episode, he's a first-time Staff Picks uh, guest, but he runs his own podcast. Uh, He has a movie podcast up in Canada, and we've been talking back and forth about wanting to do an episode together. Jojo Rabbit came up. We're both big fans of this movie. I've always wanted to get him on Staff Picks, so uh, welcome to the show to talk about a really difficult movie to talk about. Welcome, Quentin Phillipson. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that you picked a newbie to uh, get canceled on the first podcast. We're, go- we're making records here. That's what I do. I didn't want to lose one of my, my go-to hosts, so I made sure I had someone new that was disposable. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. you could have one of your favorites. Uh, it would be controversial. And let me point out, right before the podcast, I said, your name is Quentin, not Quentin. And then the minute I introduced him, I said Quentin. So I've already failed you. It's all good. It's all good. I- I've heard way worse uh, people butchered my name (laughs) so give us a little backstory on you because you and i are kind of meeting for the first time today give us a history on you how you know this movie what you do for a living tell us about your podcast yeah well i definitely don't do my podcast for a living but i do have a podcast and it started in 2019 and i was thrown in for a loop uh the very first year we just decided to start reviewing films and discussing uh you know what's trending and popular films and this was definitely one that got my attention because, you know, it's the movie that is pro-Hitler. That's really what it was marketed as, not necessarily by the company itself, but by, like, articles and, you know, sources. So I went, well, this is a movie people are kind of talking about. I guess I got to check it out. And uh, it was my favorite film of that year. And I've been doing the podcast for about, well, since 2019, so for about two and a half years now. And uh, this is still my favorite film that I've seen since we've been doing the podcast, at least. So of the last two and a half years, Jojo Rabbit, the pro-Hitler movie, uh, is my favorite, I guess. Well, okay. Let's, let's, to be fair, to people who have not seen this movie, it's not really pro-Hitler per se, correct? Oh, no, not at all. Not yeah, at all. It's, how, how dare you accuse the internet, internet of um, misinterpreting a movie? Yeah, I, I never once has Twitter got it wrong. I don't know what happened. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, this movie, probably my favorite of the last four or five years. Like I said, instantly I saw it. I'm like, I love this movie. This is such a neat little special movie. Although, now you are, do you know older movies or are you more a modern movie podcast? I am, I am more of a modern movie guy, but I found this list of the top 1,000 films ever made. And I've been going through it kind of chronologically. So I've seen 
like 30 films from 1920. I'm working through the 1930s. I've also dabbled in every other decade. But yeah, for some reason, it now seems to be that I know the 2010s and the 1920s. I don't know what happened here. (laughs) The old cliche, the 1920s and 2010s film buff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well, the reason I bring that up is because I keep describing this movie as unique. I cannot really compare this movie to any other one I've ever seen in my life, with the exception of one. And I was just thinking about it this week, and it finally struck me, the movie. Now, you may have not seen this one because this is not in the 1920s. I think I can take a guess. Uh, are you going to say The Producers? I am not going to say The Producers, but that's a good guess. That, I was thinking of that, but it's not quite that because... Again, this is a movie that makes fun of Hitler and Germany and makes fun of war, makes fun of propaganda. So, yeah, the producers is an excellent guess. But what I was going at is that this movie somehow turns the setting that is so bleak and so nasty and so depressing into something beautiful. And it's a treatise on life and beauty and making every moment count. It's very similar to a cult classic movie from the early 70s called Harold and Maude. Okay, yeah, I have not seen that, but I have heard of it. Okay, yeah, that's one of my all-time favorite movies. That's one you should definitely look when you get to the 70s. But for my listeners, I did an episode of Harold and Maude, one of my favorite podcasts I've done. This movie is really kind of similar to that in that it takes something that's so bleak about suicide and aging and death and funerals and makes it into a movie about appreciating life. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely the theme of this movie, where it takes such a bleak and terrible past story that we all know and makes it about valuing life. Yeah, I do think that's interesting. Yeah, and you get to the end, and, like, I tear up at the end of this movie. It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah same. It's crazy. So, okay, so this movie was directed by Taika Waititi, who's a big name. Are you familiar with his other movies? Have you delved into the other ones? Yeah, I believe I've seen them all except for Boy. I've seen the rest of his movies. Okay, I will say flat out, my wife, huge fan of Taika Waititi. In fact, although we were late to this movie... Well, we started with uh, the, the, the all that whole, that New Zealand comedy scene. We started with Flight of the Concords. Now, are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Okay. It's a TV show with uh, Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie. And then there was the vampire movie with Jermaine called What We Do in the Shadows. So we watched that thinking it was a Jermaine Clement movie. And we're like, who's this other guy who's the lead vampire? So I'd never heard of Taika Waititi. I only got into him later. Oh, this guy's a big deal, too. So that's how we got into it. And then eventually we've seen all his movies now. Now, is this your favorite of his movies? Yeah, this would be my favorite of his by a a large portion. I like the other films, but yeah, this is the one that I personally prefer. Yeah, see, my wife would probably say she likes What We Do in the Shadows, but that's just one's a comedy. This one is, it's a comedy, I mean, on paper, but it's more than a comedy. So this is by far my favorite of his. Although I do have a a special place in my heart for Eagle vs. Shark. Have you seen that one? I've not, no. There you go. I think that was his first movie with us. So if you want a, a offbeat uh, Taika Waititi hit, go find Eagle vs. Shark, which is much smaller than this movie, but it's the same type of humor. Okay. Hey, yeah, I'm always down for Waititi film. Okay, so now I'm going to put you on the spot, Quentin. Try to describe this movie in like four sentences to somebody who has never seen it before. Yeah, this is definitely where I'm getting canceled here. <laughs> I, I feel it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely... it's. Uh, the film is about a young boy named Jojo who is part of, you know, Hitler youth and his imaginary friend, his best friend in his mind is Adolf Hitler. So that's played by Taiki Waititi. And it's about this boy kind of growing up in Germany as a German part of Hitler youth and him realizing that 
just because he's part of Hitler Youth, uh, it doesn't make him a Nazi. And he kind of starts to realize that maybe, believe it or not, Nazis, uh, maybe they're not the good guys. And it's kind of about JoJo's growth as a child, um, kind of realizing what's right. Yeah, that's an excellent summary. That's better than I could have done. It's 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 an anti-war movie. That's the thing. It's set in Germany in right towards the end of World War II. Germany's about to fall. And it's all, you know, Hitler and propaganda and stuff, but it's such a blatant anti-war movie. That's why, why it's, like we said earlier, people describe it as a pro-Hitler movie. It's not at all. Like, as you used to describe it, as you compared it to the producers, this is like Mel Brooks just taking the piss out of, you know, Hitler. Taika Waititi, who is Jewish himself, doing the same thing here, just wanting to just basically give a big middle finger to all Nazis and the, the idea of Hitler. Yeah, yeah, Waititi definitely... Uh was not pro Hitler. He was famously doing the opposite. He was, he said in many interviews that he refused to even search or like do any research on Hitler. Cause he said, fuck that guy. I don't want to look up him. I'm just going to make fun of him the whole time. He would hate that a Jewish is playing him. Yeah. And I, that's one of my all time favorite quotes about the movie industry. I read that Taika Waititi himself, the director and writer of this movie played Adolf Hitler and that's because the movie studio demanded that he play Hitler. He didn't really want to. He was a little uncomfortable playing Hitler. But he specifically did no research on what Hitler was like because, quote, in his own words, because fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's literally his quote. Yeah, he was like, fuck, I'm not going to do any research on him. I'm a Jew and I don't give a crap about Hitler. Yeah, that is so amazing. And I, I read another interview where he said, you know, it just didn't seem worth it putting in any time to know this guy. Yeah. yeah. So you get that goofiest, like almost likable Hitler. And I know some people may have a problem with that, but Hitler's like almost likable because he's like a 10 year old's version of what Hitler would be like. But that's where the controversy comes in in this movie. Yeah, I really like. Uh, see, yeah, we're all tiptoeing around the line here, but I like the portrayal of Hitler in this film because I, it's through JoJo's mind, which is a 10 year old mind of what Hitler is like. So at the beginning, he's like you know, this cool BFF for the 10-year-old, and he turns into this very, uh, like, his depiction of Hitler and the character itself changes in the film because of how Jojo views the Nazis. I think it was, it was, it was you know, shown very well. He's buffoonish. That would be the right word to describe Hitler. He's a buffoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, from the people I have talked to, this is one of these almost universally loved movies. Like, I had a lot of people lining up that wanted to do this on Staff Picks. But I have met some people that really don't like this movie and kind of have a problem with it. And I, that actually surprises me because, I mean, I, maybe it doesn't because of the subject material, but it's such a lighthearted, well-done, well-crafted movie with a good heart. I am surprised that some people really don't like it and they just can't get past the subject material. Yeah, it definitely seems to be the case. There's very few people that would go up to on the streets and go, hey, what's your thoughts on Judge? And they go, eh. It's fine. It's either they adamantly love it or they adamantly hate it. Yeah, and luckily, Quentin and I both adamantly love it, so we'll be singing its praises. But I understand this might not be a movie for everybody. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I actually understand why people don't like it. I totally get it if people say it's putting, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, not, it's, it's taking light of a serious subject matter. So people that take this seriously, because it is a very serious discussion about world war ii i totally understand if they're off put by it i think it's hailed really well but i i totally understand would you say it's hailed very well or hailed very well <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry yeah hailed yeah 
Alright, that's one of the running jokes in the movie. Again, people, again, with a disclaimer, this may not be a movie for everybody, but it is one of the little running jokes in the movie that when Nazis greet each other, they must heil Hitler each other as many times as possible as many Nazis are in the room, and it becomes very goofy. Yeah. So, oh, here's one more quote from Taika Waititi I read here. He said, you know what? The world is ridiculous, and the world needs ridiculous movies. That's why he made this movie. Yeah, I believe he says that for every movie that he makes. They, they, they all follow that. So it's just a, it's just like a rubber stamp. He just stamps that at the end of every interview? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, honestly, it's just recorded. He doesn't even show up for the interview. He just plays it. <laughs> okay, so before we delve into the plot, and this is a very deep plot. This We're going to have to have a long podcast here, I suspect. But uh, first off, this is based on a book. Now, have you researched the book at all? Because I have not. I have not, no. Okay, it's apparently a very serious study of propaganda on a young boy during World War II, and Taika Waititi took it and turned it into a comedy and added a buffoon Hitler side character. So it's like it's apparently nothing like the book. It's like the general spirit, but the tone is completely different. Although the author of the book did say she liked what he did with it. She, she said uh, that movies are different than books, so they, uh, she appreciated what kind of sensibility he brought to it. Yeah, and I think having Hitler in the movie helps with the narration because he kind of shows what's in JoJo's mind because it's him talking to himself. So I do kind of think it helped maybe point out some of his transitions to his thinking process of the Nazis. So I imagine that was just him thinking to himself in the book, but you can't really portray that in the film. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, I suspect if I read the book, I probably wouldn't like it as much because it's a totally different telling of the same story. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, and now let's talk about the actors real quick. So we got Taika Waititi playing goofy buffoon Hitler, fuck that guy Hitler, and then uh, we have Scarlett Johansson who plays the mom in it, and she got a lot of praise at the time, but I'm going to skip over her for a second because I got to talk about these kid actors in this movie who are so good. I agree. Yeah, they like, they dominate, they're like... 70% of the movie is these kid actors just talking to each other, and it's like all of their thought process. Now, I, 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 I screwed up my notes. I forgot to write down the kid's name, the main star. Roman Griffin Davis? There, yeah, him. <laughs> Do you know him from any other movies? Was this like his first movie? This is his only movie as of now. Wow. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know how you follow up Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, him and then Archie Yates. This is their first film so far. They haven't done anything else. Okay, but then the uh, the girl, Elsa. See, to me, she's the big standout in this movie. I think she's really good. Thomasin McKenzie. Do you know her from other stuff as well? Uh, I haven't actually seen her other stuff, but she's done a few films that have come out this year. So she's also, she is in quite a few movies now, and she's, from what I've heard, fantastic. Okay, and yeah, apparently Taika Waititi knew her from New Zealand and had been keeping eye on her since she was a young child actor. He kind of knew that she was really talented. But anyway... The kid actors, that's the one thing I just wanted to bring up that people may remember the plot of this movie and like how uh, audacious it is, but the kid actors are outstanding. They really sell this movie. No, I agree. I think you remember Scarlett Johansson and Sam Rockwell and Taika Waititi because they're the very cartoonish, uh, funny characters. They all have these great moments in the movie, but the reason why I love this movie is these kids. They're the heart of this movie. They really are. You get a watch their viewpoint throughout the whole film. It's definitely their story and them changing as characters. And yeah, they're, they're absolutely the best part. Okay. And with that, I believe we have arrived here, Quentin, where we have to start talking about the plot of Jojo Rabbit. Are, are you ready for this? Yeah, well, I'm not ready, but you know, we might as well get this over with. <laughs> I have to say, so, 
Again, I keep using the word audacious. Like, I cannot believe this movie actually was greenlit. Like, as good as it turned out, I'm shocked that when Taika Waititi presented this to people, they eventually made it into a movie. But the movie opens. I have to talk about this montage that we start the movie where he compares the rise of Hitler in Germany to Beatlemania. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the montage is great. Uh, I have a pretty funny story with this because uh, you you definitely wouldn't know this, and people that don't know me uh, would have no idea. But those that uh, you know, you spend like one day with me, you quickly pick up. I like famously know nothing about music. It's just I, I just don't like listening to it. I actively avoid it in my life, and so I did not realize this was a Beatles song. I understood the first time I watched this that it was a homage to like you know, pop star, rock dumb, like everybody's like stoked to see the Nazis as if it's like some rock star band. But I was pissed for months that this song wasn't going to be nominated for the Oscar <laughs> best song. And I was going up to my fiance for weeks. I was like, this is so stupid. Unbelievable. Nobody's talking about this amazing song. This song is a bop. This song is awesome, man. This should be like, on the radio this song's great and she thought i was just joking the whole time because i like to mess around with her and for weeks she just like didn't say anything until she looked at me one day she's like okay seriously like i am tired of this joke i was like wait what joke like i don't understand what's so funny this is a really good song do you not like it and she's like it's a Beatles song quentin this is not an original song and i was completely blown away that's funny. You and I actually have something in common. That's hilarious. Because my wife makes fun of me because I'm so bad with music. This is the exact same reason. <laughs> I Okay, I'll just – I grew up in the 80s, and somehow I missed almost every big pop song in the 80s. Like, I remember I'd hear stuff in, like, 95, and it was like, oh, that's Dexy's Midnight Runners, Come on, Eileen. That's a great song. I'm like, have you heard that? I asked my wife. She's like, yeah, dumbass. That was the biggest hit in the world for, like, six weeks in 84. So, like, I'm just like you. I'm so bad with music. Yeah, yeah, I'm very musically challenged. I know nothing about this. Okay, so let's describe this for people who have not seen it. So the movie opens with, it's a little boy, little German boy. This is Johannes uh, Betzler, known as Jojo. And it's just him addressing the camera. And he's at the, at the beginning, he's just like reeling off how much he loves Hitler, right? Yeah, yeah, he's using the Nazi, he's saying the Nazi chant. He's talking to himself in the mirror to hype himself up before he leaves. And that's where you see... You know, Taiki Waititi walking behind him. Okay, yeah. So little Johannes, a little cute 10-year-old boy, and he's just spewing off all these Nazi propaganda that would have been given to little boys in Germany in 1943 uh, or four. I forget what year this is said. He's like, uh, today I joined the Hitler Youth. It's like a very special training weekend. This is a really big deal for this kid. This was a real program in Nazi Germany, the Hitler Youth. Uh, the, there's a German word for it. I always forget it. Do you know the word? They say it in the movie. I just wonder if you wrote it down. No, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm not German. <laughs> yeah, there could be some crossover. Come on. There could be some Canadian Germans. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, but yeah, he says, today I become a man. I swear to devote my life to the savior of our country, Adolf Hitler. I'm willing and ready to give up my life for him. And then, yeah, we get the imaginary friend Hitler behind him, uh, just flitting around behind him, talking, and then... Uh, Johannes says, I have a snake mind and a wolf body and a panther uh, courage and a German soul. And then Hitler's like, yeah, man, heil me, man, heil me. <laughs> so that's our opening to the tone of the movie that it's perhaps not going to treat the subject of uh, World War II and the Holocaust with as much seriousness as you think it probably should. 
Yeah, it was a pretty bold start of them kind of throwing light onto the Halmi and stuff with Hitler. Uh, yeah, they, they went right into it. Yeah, it starts quick. But again, if you've seen other Taika Waititi movies, you know this is what he does. But if if you wandered into Jojo Rabbit, you know, <laughs> unknowing what you were going to see, I, I imagine you'd be pretty shocked at the first two minutes of this movie. Yeah, I, I imagine so. And this is where we get the montage we talked about earlier, and JoJo's running off to summer camp to his Hitler Youth training where he's going to become a man and learn all these life skills. And now we get this montage of, it's the Beatles singing, I want to hold your hand, but it's a German version, come give me Dinah Hand or something. And they play it over all this footage of Nazi propaganda stuff from like Triumph of the Will. And those Taika Waititi's comparison, he's like, you know, that was like the rise of Hitler was very much like Beatlemania. That's how excited people were in Germany for Hitler. So he's making a real bold statement comparing it to Quentin's favorite group, the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a real fan of them. <laughs> Are you now? Have you heard other Beatles songs since? I have watched a uh, Beatle movie from, I don't know, not the 1920s, but, you know, it was on the list. I'm very excited for one day when you discover, like, the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> okay, so and this is where we meet Jojo and his little friend, Yorkie, who steals just about every scene in this movie he is in. So are you Team Yorkie? I am Team Yorkie, yeah. He's fantastic. Okay, describe Yorkie to someone who has maybe never seen him before. Uh, he's just a fat boy in a fat kid's body. He's this adorable little buddy of JoJo's who I, I think the two of them bounce off each other really well. Yeah, he's just a friend that's also part of the Hitler's youth. Uh, he ends up uh, making us the war on Lake JoJo. But the two of them, uh, it's, just, it's just two kids, both 10 years old, just hanging out. Uh, they're adorable together. Uh, it just feels like a genuine friendship between the two. Yeah, Yorkie, uh, he... <laughs> This little fat kid got these giant glasses. Kind of looks like Velma from Scooby-Doo. Big hair hanging down in his eyes. Just a pathetic-looking kid. Although JoJo doesn't look any more pathetic. These are just little scrawny little wimps that think they're huge, you know, Nazi-trained warriors. So that's kind of the premise of this movie, kind of the running joke, that JoJo thinks he's such a badass, but he's not. Everyone will make fun of him repeatedly, including later in the movie, the Jewish girl who just mocks him. Yeah, he really thinks he's going to be Hitler's number one. He thinks he's going to be high up in the Nazi ranks. He's going to really impress him. But he's just this little 10-year-old kid. Yeah, just a little runt. Okay, so now we go to the uh, first day at camp. And I wrote it down here. It's called the Jugend, the Hitler Jugend training weekend, the, the youngsters. And this was a real thing in Germany. And uh, so we this is where we meet the leader of the camp, who actually is another guy who steals a lot of scenes in this movie, Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell is fantastic. And I we also get introduced to Elfie Allen, who on multiple rewatches, he's becoming a quick favorite of mine. Uh, the two of them are so much fun together. Is he the, the second in command, if I recall? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for those that haven't seen the film, he plays Theon in uh, the Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. And then we also have Rebel Wilson in there, and I always forget her character name. I just call her Frau Rebel Wilson. <laughs> yeah, I just call her Rebel Wilson, but I have it right here. It's... uh. Oh, well, Frowlin Rom. <laughs> okay. We will never remember that. <laughs> That'll be the only time I'll mention that name. Okay, so talk about Sam Rockwell's character here, Captain K. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, uh, the Captain K line kills me every time when Alfie Allen goes, Captain K! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Sam Rockwell, who plays Captain K, is fantastic. Yeah, he's the leader. Uh, he's the one that's teaching all these people. He's the one that's teaching the Hitler youth. 
you know, uh, he's the one setting up the training. He's kind of the the leader here. And he's there because he mentioned that he was in an accident that damaged one of his eyes. And so just to show off that he could still shoot, he could still be part of Hitler's army as well. He just starts shooting cans randomly. He's just a total goofball that kind of seems like he's falling out of touch with Germany. He doesn't seem like he loves the Nazi party or hates the Jews anymore. He's very much this middleman between like the good and the bad. Yeah, he's really just phoning it in at this point. Uh, he even says what happens was uh, he was in Operation Screw-Up. He got his unit killed. He's been demoted to training kids. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not really invested in the Nazi party anymore. He's just phoning in, putting in the time until, as he says, war is almost over. Our enemies are in closing in. So uh, we might as well keep up the effort, though. This will probably be the last youth training camp they're going to hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's just there. He's, you know, he's just hanging tight. Although we do get an important rule. uh, Captain K will be JoJo's lifeline in this movie. He's the one, kind of the mentor. And he does tell the kids the first day at camp, you've been given this special dagger, your Hitler dagger. You are never to be seen without it. And then he points out, also, don't try to stab each other. To which point his flunky's like, no stabbing. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, LP Allen, no stabbing. All right, so talk about this camp here. What kind of skills are these kids learning at Hitler Youth Camp? Yeah, I like how you asked me all these questions to set me up, so I'm the one that's the fall guy here. But they get this like training montage where the boys are wearing masks, or they're wearing gas masks, they're throwing knives at each other. They're not supposed to be stabbing, but they, you know they still kind of throw it around. Uh, and the girls are supposed to, uh, you know, make beds and uh, get pregnant. Yeah, that's really their entire point. The women have to stay in shape to make babies. The little boys are there to kill and it's this really just propaganda camp not only are the kids learning how to kill and fight but then we go to and this is where the movie starts going into wow i cannot believe uh this movie got approved the jewish propaganda classes where they have to learn how evil the jews are yeah. i'll i'll take this one if you don't mind <laughs> all yours so yeah jojo there's all this fighting and stuff and he's just a little kid he's probably the littlest kid in camp and he's scared he doesn't know what to do all the big boys make fun of him. So he doesn't really do well in the fighting class, but the propaganda stuff, he's great. And again, this is, well, I have to keep in mind, I, before the disclaimer, before I read this, this movie was made by a Jewish guy who's pointing out how stupid all this propaganda was. So this is where the Germans sit in class, the little kids, and they learn that the Jews are evil and they have fangs and a tail and a serpent's tongue and scales. And they're told you know, one time a, a Jewish man mated with a fish, and that's why they're all half men, half fish, and all these kids are horrified. But uh, Jojo will take this to heart. He will believe this literally the entire movie almost. Yeah, exactly. And I always thought this scene was interesting because the beginning they're saying, oh, they got serpent tongues and scales. And at that point, we're watching it through the viewpoint of the Nazis. Like this is all these things that they're saying. But then they start getting really ridiculous where Rebel Wilson, as you said, mentions that, oh, they have skills because they have sex with fish. And I think at that point, the audience should realize, like, this is making fun of Like, this is the viewpoint of the audience. We understand that this propaganda is just insane and over the top and ridiculous. Like, there's no way somebody, I don't know, there's no way somebody looks at the having sex with fish and thinks that they're, like, actually making fun of Jews. It's clearly, like, the beginning is making fun of the Jews, and there's, like, a reverse uno. The viewpoint, the finger's now pointing at the Nazis making fun of them. But I do believe a lot of this is probably based in fact because this is a lot of the propaganda the kids would have been taught at the time, I'm guessing. Oh, oh yeah. No, I imagine most of this is somewhat factual. I do imagine they try to 
show how ridiculous this propaganda really was. Yeah, and just to assure anybody who's listening to this and is horrified, the whole point of this movie is that Jojo will meet a Jewish girl later and learn that the Jews are not monsters, that she's just a normal girl like him who's being torn apart. Her family's been torn apart by war. So that's the whole message of this movie. These kids are propagandized and have to learn later, oh, that was all just crap. We were just used in this part of this big war machine. And I don't really know any movies that kind of point the point out the fact that the kids are really heavily influenced by this propaganda. Like this was a real thing in Germany. Like it, it's crazy that the kids were this brainwashed into such ridiculous and horrible stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, that's the story of history. Human history is horrible and yeah. A, yeah. Ve a very excellent example of that. But yeah, this, uh, so that's the whole, that's the universe we're living in, in this movie. These kids are propagandized. Jojo is going to believe that Jews are evil demons who, will suck your brain out and hypnotize you until almost the end of the movie, and then he'll learn how wrong he was. But that's that's why it's kind of a beautiful movie in the end, because it's all about, you know, unlearning all this terrible training you've been given over your lifetime. Yeah, yeah. And right after that, we get to probably one of my favorite scenes, which is the burning books, which <laughs> probably shouldn't be one of them. But... Yeah, I think uh, I think this scene uh, really encapsulates the entire movie, where you see all the Germans throwing the literature and burning it in this giant fire. Jojo is a part of it; he's part of this, you know, youth Hitler youth system. And you get the shot of Rockwell first, who's looking into the flames, having a drink, wanting no part of this. He's completely out of touch with what's going on. And then it cuts to Jojo, where he has the same look. He's looking into the fire, looking at the burning books, and realizing this is wrong. And he turns to the right and he looks at everybody is cheering. Rebel Wilson is totally in this. She's like shaking her hands, like all stoked that they're burning these books. And everyone's so stoked that Jojo then starts smiling and realizing, oh, everyone else is happy. That means this is good. Yeah, absolutely. You can see the peer pressure and you'll see that all throughout this movie that it's so everyone else is doing it. So we have to do it, too. And Jojo, you can see, is right on the fence. He's very militarized. He's very fanatic about loving Hitler, wanting to impress Hitler, be an Aryan youth. But he doesn't really have it in him because he's not cruel. He's very gentle and very timid, actually. Yeah, he's a good person. And he realizes that for a split second, uh, maybe this isn't right. And I like that. Yeah, although now we get the scene that kind of drives home the point of why he is into this so much, where the first night at uh, youth camp, he and Yorkie are laying there in their bunk, and they're talking about Jews, because they've just learned about Jews for the first time from propaganda class, and they're talking about, like, what would it be like to see one in real life? And Jojo, of course, who is Mr. Tough Guy, trying to put on a big show for all these kids, says, well, you know, if I saw a Jew, I would kill it. I would feel under its hair, I'd find its horns, and then I'd kill it with my Hitler dagger, and I'd bring it to Hitler, and then we'd be best friends. That would that would be the surefire way to get in good with him. And Yorkie's like, but I thought I was your best friend. And Jojo's like, well, Hitler will always be number one, and then you're number two. And Yorkie seems to be cool with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, as cool as you can be, I guess. But you can see, this is what drives Jojo the whole movie. He just wants to be Hitler's friend, basically. Like, and I'll go a little deeper... You learn later Jojo doesn't have a father. He wants Hitler to kind of be the father figure. Yeah, and he definitely sees Hitler as like his father figure. He's the one that he always looks up to through all this propaganda and lessons he's learning. Yeah, he definitely looks up to Hitler. Yeah, and this is where we get into the idea of Hitler as his imaginary friend, which seems like a very risky plot device. Hitler is your beloved imaginary friend of your main character, but it totally ties into it when you realize that that's all Jojo wants is a friend and a dad, and he's conjured up this 
image of what a 10-year-old thinks Hitler would probably be like, and it's just ridiculous. Now, I saw, I've heard Waititi took some, some uh, flack for that, saying he made Hitler too likable. Have you heard that? Yeah, I definitely have heard that. And there are points where he does, he, you know, he does seem very too goofy and too bumbling, where he is almost on the point of likable. Uh, I've always, you know, uh, I'm trying to get the people to like me here. I, I've always not been a big uh, Hitler fan, so I, I never really thought he was super likable in the film. He wasn't one of my faves. I'm going to steal an old Norm MacDonald line here. The more I learn about that Hitler, the more I don't care for him. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm glad to find, glad to hear you didn't like him in general. But yeah, it's Waititi kind of makes him very likable in the movie because Taika Waititi is likable. That's kind of the problem. That's, I think, why one of the reasons he didn't want to play Hitler, but the studio kind of made him. But in his defense, I think Waititi did say, well, the thing is, this is a creation in Jojo's mind as Hitler. So it has to be childlike. It has to be likable because if the Hitler he comes up with is evil and menacing, then that means Jojo is evil. So it's 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 a fine line. Exactly, yeah. For Jojo to have that person be his imaginary best friend and to be someone he looks up to, he's going to imagine that he's cool and that he's like fun to hang around with because he's his best friend. But obviously, as the movie progresses, he gets more and more intense and evil as the actual Hitler is, and it's because Jojo's viewpoints change. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well said. So now we go to the big accident. Now, Jojo at this point still has designs. He's going to be this world-class Jew hunter and killer for Hitler, an Aryan youth, but we know he doesn't have an enemy. He's too scrawny. He's scared of everything. He's not violent, and we learn that real quick in the rabbit scene. Yeah, this is kind of where it's, you know, he talks the talk. He really talks that he's going to be Hitler's best friend, and he's going to kill Jews and be, you know, Hitler's BFF up in the Nazi army. But, uh, yeah, he, he quickly realizes that he's really not that person. Yeah, so the scene in question we're talking about here is this rabbit scene where the kids are required at summer camp to kill a rabbit to show that they can kill for Hitler. And so they're out in the woods and these big mean boys are running the camp. They're like, everybody, you think you can kill for Hitler? Do you think you have it in you? And they're all like, yeah, they're all big talkers. And the big, the big kids all see little Jojo in front. There's like, there's no way that kid could kill a rabbit. So they basically dare him to do it in front of everybody. Yeah, he gets peer pressured by all the bigger kids to go up and kill this rabbit to prove that he can kill people. And I do like when they ask me if you could do it, he's like, oh, yeah. I love killing. Like, you know, that's like a total pastime of mine whenever I'm like not writing propaganda. But yeah, I love it. So he goes up there with the rabbit. He has the knife. And uh, it's this big moment where they all, they literally have that bullying, cartoonish pressure of everybody chanting, kill, kill, kill. And he ends up not being able to do it. Yeah. And this is where he gets his nickname. And a lot of people, if you haven't seen this movie, may wonder where Jojo Rabbit comes from in a movie about Nazis and propaganda. But yeah, all the kids mock him because he's unable to kill a rabbit. He's too gentle. And they're like, you think you have the fighting spirit of a cougar or a panther? No, you're just a little baby rabbit. And they all start calling him Jojo Rabbit, which is a huge mocking thing to call at Aryan youth. And they also taunt him, I believe, because his father is supposed to be fighting for Germany, but they, the rumor is his father has gone AWOL, so they say he's a coward like his father. Yeah. Yeah, so poor Jojo is not going to fit in. He's humiliated. He runs off and cries in the woods because all the kids are making fun of him. But luckily, and here comes one of the funniest scenes in the movie, which the Hitler scene shouldn't be the funniest, but it is, where his good buddy Hitler is going to go cheer him up in the woods. 
Yeah, he's going to pop his head out behind a tree and check on his best friend. <laughs> and offer him a cigarette, which always makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, he does it a few times. He's got to look out for him. <laughs> I read somewhere that Hitler was a non-smoker, and I think Waititi knew that, so he just did that just to piss off Hitler. I heard that as well. He was like, oh, Hitler doesn't like smoking? Well, he does in this film. <laughs> yeah, so so Hitler's there out in the woods cheering up poor Jojo. Like, you can be an Aryan youth. You can. They called you a rabbit. That's not an insult. That's a, that's a compliment because the rabbit, they're humble, but they can outwit all their enemies. So he's like, Jojo, go out there. Go back to camp and be brave and sneaky. Be the rabbit. So you can see that Hitler... The imaginary Hitler is kind of filling in the father figure role here, and it helps, and it, and it works in this case because Jojo goes running back to camp. Yeah, exactly. He has his imagination uh, tell him, you know what, this is a good thing. Yeah, I can still be a Nazi. This is totally my thing. Uh, I'm going to go out there and prove to everybody that I am a Nazi, and I am cool. So he runs out, runs out in front of Sam Rockwell and grabs the grenade out of his hand and uh you know he ends up uh, screwing up by throwing it against a tree so it bounces back yes in jojo's first mission at camp he throws a grenade he hits a tree it goes right back at him and he blows himself up and it's the end of jojo uh betzler's military training yeah yeah and that same rockwell says uh, don't do that <laughs> yeah. that is a hilarious scene i love this entire camp scene it's so well done the the scene of uh, Jojo running back to camp with Hitler egging him on and Taika Waititi's jumping around doing his Hitler dance, that that is that will never not make me laugh. It's such a funny scene. Yeah, he's like dancing super hilariously. They're running out of the smoke, so it, like, it visually looks nice. Uh, yeah, I really like that scene. So anyway, the rest of the movie, Jojo has now hobbled. He has been <laughs> taken out by a grenade that he has a like a broken leg. He has scarring on his face. And luckily he didn't die, but he wakes up the next morning in the hospital and this is where we meet his mother, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, so he's now uh, no longer part of the Hitler youth, per se, but more so just stuck at home. Um, and I think this is where uh, the real story begins. That's kind of like all the setup for who Jojo is. But now we are at home with his mom, who's a very important character, who we haven't seen yet until now. Um, so really, we kind of started getting used to more of the important characters. Yeah, why don't you describe the mom? Now, I just know her as Frau Betzler. I always forget. Rosie, is that her name, maybe? Yeah, yeah, Rosie. Kind of describe her to people, because she's a very important part of the story that drives most of the action. Yeah, she's really important to the film. Uh, it's obviously played by Scarlett Johansson, who, you know, is, is pretty well-known by most people. Um, but her and uh, her and Jojo really are all they have as a family. Uh, they, their father obviously left. Uh, their sister, we quickly learn, passed away. So it's just the two of them in this house in Germany. And she is very much not a fan of, you know, the Nazi party. She's the one that is kind of the foil to Jojo Rabbit and his imaginary friend and to all things Germany. And so they kind of have there's love for each other, but also, you know, they definitely get into some fights, but I think it leads to a lot of fun scenes. Yeah, she uh, she is part of the resistance. She's resisting this uh, rise of the Nazism, and you get the sense that she puts up with Jojo. Jojo is a huge fanatic. He loves Hitler. As he says later, I'm really big into swastikas. This is little 10-year-old Jojo. Just loves the idea of the Aryan nation. The mom, not so cool with it, and we learn later she is hiding a Jewish girl in her house. That's how far she's going to resist. But she's pretty relieved that Jojo got injured during mil uh, military training and he can't go to war now. So now it's basically got an I told you so that he has to stay at home. 
and she persuades Captain K, who has now been demoted again. Now he's doing paperwork. <laughs> She's like, just find my son something to do. And so they basically have him in charge of propaganda. He just walks around town and pass- passes out propaganda. Yeah, and I love the Rockwell Alfie relationship. When she runs into the room, uh, Rockwell is feeding Alfie uh, some food. Like they, got, those two together, I think they're a really funny duo. Yeah, luckily, again, we will come to this later in the movie where Rockwell, Captain K, turned out to be a pretty good guy in the end, actually. And I, I've seen some criticism of that. How dare you say, oh, well, they were good Nazis too? But in the context of the story, without Captain K kind of being a father figure for JoJo, the story doesn't work nearly as well. Yeah, exactly. He needs to have a father figure that isn't Hitler. I think I think that was a good call to have Rockwell there. <laughs> I, I find that to be true for most people. You need a father figure who's not Hitler. Yeah, it's a pretty low bar, but it's a bar nonetheless. Yeah, so uh, here we go. We we meet the fir- we meet the mom, and she comes and takes Jojo out of the hospital, gets him a propaganda job, and this is the first time in the movie we see that she's really anti-war. She doesn't like this whole rise of Nazism. She doesn't like fascism. Doesn't like war. They're walking through the town square, and there's a really important part in the middle of the town square where we see what happens to the enemies of the state. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely where the movie lets us know that it's very funny at times, but it's also going to be addressing some serious issues because we see a few of the people in the resistance uh, hanging in the middle of the town square, which is a crazy dark visual. And obviously Jojo, who's just a 10-year-old boy, doesn't want to see any of that. He doesn't want to kill a bunny, let alone see that visual. But uh, ScarJo definitely, or Rosie, definitely makes sure that he uh, at least acknowledges what's going on. Yeah, this is an important detail that I don't think really becomes as important to the story until you watch this movie maybe the second time. That Right at the start of the movie, they see all the hang people in the center of the square, and JoJo won't look at it. And his mom physically takes his head and turns it and makes him look at what the Nazis are doing to people. And and so Jojo's kind of terrified. He doesn't like seeing these dead bodies. And he's like, what did they do, Mom? And she says, they did what they could. Yeah. So you learn real early what her sympathies are. Yeah. And like I said, uh, a lot of these big name actors here, including Rockwell and obviously Scarlett Johansson, they have a lot of like good wine liners uh, that help, I think, lift up Jojo and Thomas and McKenzie's characters, uh, Elsa, uh, in the film. I feel like, yeah, she definitely has some good lines and she's kind of like, you know, the hero of this film, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, she will have a memorable storyline. There's a there's a gut punch scene later that you wouldn't expect from this movie. We'll get to no, that. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so now JoJo's back home. He's he's not at war. He's injured. He can't do anything. He's just at home by himself one day, and he hears something upstairs. And this is where we're going to meet the second lead character in the movie when he goes upstairs, and he discovers, much to his horror that his mom is hiding a Jewish girl up in the attic. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I think this is a really interesting scene, especially how it's suddenly shot and the score with it It is kind of presented like it's a horror film, right? Because this is in his mindset, Jojo Rabbit. So Mm -hmm. obviously to him, something scary is going on in this house. There's some noises upstairs. There's some, uh, there's some holes in the wall. Suddenly this becomes a horror film for a few minutes here. And it's, uh, it's pretty well shot. Okay, yeah, let, let me try to describe this scene for you, that uh, Jojo goes upstairs, he sees a crack, he opens the door, he sees a girl in there, and he realizes instantly what this is, that this is a Jew. And again, he's just been through propaganda class where he has learned that you know Jews are demons, and they'll fly, and they'll eat your blood, and they're monsters, and he screams and runs away. 
And what I love about this movie is that the girl, Elsa, is in on it. She knows instantly who Jojo is, that Jojo's kind of a little asshole, and that Jojo hates her because she's Jewish. So she, like, pretends she's like a monster and, like, crawls down the, like, the way she walks down the stairs. It's like a horror movie, like you said. It's really well done because she's in on the joke. She's like, he already thinks I'm a monster. I'm just going to go with it, I guess. Yeah, she plays into it just to mess with that. She, she doesn't like this guy. Yeah, well, she hates him. And that's kind of the thing I love about this movie, that Jojo's a little dick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Elsa says, don't make me run, kid. I'm far too hungry. And you know how much we love the taste of blood. And he's like, get out of my house, Jew. And he pulls out his little knife. He wants to kill her. But she's older. She's like, like he's 10. She's what, like 15, 16? Yeah. And she like overpowers him and takes his Nazi knife. And this is totally aghast to him that he has thought that, you know, Aryans are the chosen race, we're civilized, we're stronger. And she just easily takes away his knife and laughs at him. And, like, this is like a huge shock to his system. Yeah, yeah, this definitely is a blow to his realization of who Jews are. Yeah. And then even worse, the girl says, he's like, you can't be here. Jews can't be in this house. That's against the law. And she points out, well, your mom invited me, so I guess that makes me her guest. And JoJo's world is going to be turned upside down from this point on. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of realizes he can't really tell the officials, um, obviously, because she said so herself in that scene. She'll just tell them that they were a part of it. Like, they, they helped hide her for this long. Yeah. And this is like a, the old stalemate here. Yeah. Nobody can tell. If he tells, then his mom's going to get in trouble. If he tells, she's going to, she says, if you tell the authority that I'm hiding up here, I'll cut your little Nazi head off. So, like, it's a standoff. They, he can't tell, and he doesn't know what to do. So, yeah, his whole idea of the universe that his mom would be working with the Jews is thrown into question. And and uh, so he goes back in his room, and he panics, and this is where he has a little talk with Hitler. Yeah, yeah. He realizes it's a Mexican stalemate. Yeah, it's a, a, a German stalemate, we'll call this one. Okay. <laughs> well, I think the line is, yeah, he's like, this is a Mexican stalemate, and she says, no, it's a regular stalemate. Yeah, yeah she's like, it's just a stalemate. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to bring Mexico into this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so back in the room, Hitler, Hitler's all pacing back and forth. He's like, oh, my God, you met a Jew. That was intense. And the kid's like, what should we do? Like, she, look how f she has mind control. She moves fast. So Jojo and Hitler are trying to put their heads together to figure out how to uh, <laughs> how to overcome her. And there's a great line here by Taika Waititi that she moves fast. She's like a little female Jewish Jesse Owens. And then he's like, and she has your knife. So now she's like a little female Jewish Jesse Owens Jack the Ripper. Yeah, and I like how, once again, since he's talking to himself in this scene, because, you know, Hitler's imaginary, he uh, immediately was like, oh, well, obviously she must use her mind powers. That's how she took control of me. Like, there's no way, like, that could have happened. He's trying to quickly reason what happened, because he's completely thrown off guard. Yeah, and to be fair, Hitler does offer him another cigarette. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah, so they decide the plan is that Jojo will go negotiate with her. So. <laughs> Jojo goes out with a knife and a shield. I will negotiate with a Jewish girl. She says no. She says piss off. So he runs away. Again, he's terrified of her because she just rebuffs him every time, which is one of the little charms of this movie that the Jewish girl will not take his shit ever. Yeah, no, Elsa's hilarious. Yeah, she just does not take his crap. Okay, and there's another great moment here where uh, Jojo's talking to Hitler, and what does he say? Well, We'll do some kind of reverse psychology. We'll fool her into thinking she's in charge. And then maybe we'll, she'll let her guard down and take her knives away. And Jojo's like, yeah, reverse psychology. And Hitler's like, no, don't get fancy. It's a backwards mind power trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't complicate things. <laughs> 
Okay, so JoJo has no luck at all dealing with Elsa, who will just just <laughs> mock the shit out of him every single time. So now JoJo's mom comes home, and we have a little little uneasy standoff here where he tries to figure out why there's a Jew in his attic, and his mom will not admit to it. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the scene ends quite hilariously where she opens up the drawer and goes, where are all the goddamn knives? <laughs> yeah. So the mom says, oh, those are just rats upstairs. You're not hearing anything. So JoJo is torn here. He doesn't know why his mom would lie to him because in his mind, of course, the Jew, the Aryans and Germans are all working together to get rid of the scourge of the earth, the Jews. Why would his mom be helping a Jew? Isn't his mom like patriotic? So it, it really messes with his mind. But this is where I think the mom goes up and talks to Elsa, right, and tells her to be careful. What does she say? She says, like, I, if I have to choose between you and my son, and she just kind of leaves that there. She goes, I can't, I, I'm not going to make that choice. Do not let him know you're up here. And she even says, he's a little fanatic. She goes, you know, you know JoJo, Elsa, it took him three weeks to get over the fact that his grandfather was not blonde. Yeah, no, I, yeah, you know, uh, JoJo's got a lot of growing to do, and they definitely start setting up, you know, his growth here. I also really liked the scene. Uh, in between that, where ScarJo is just, uh, you know, having a bath, getting changed, all these little things. And in every scene, you see Jojo Rabbit off on the corner with his little knife, just standing guard. He, like, wants to protect his mom. It's just a really cute scene. Yeah, that, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a transition in the movie that Jojo is very protective of his mother. When yeah. his mom's there, he will guard her outside her bathroom with his knife from the Jew. Later in the movie, as he starts to become friends with Elsa, he guards Elsa from the Nazis, which is a really neat transition. Really, uh, yeah, a really cool shot. It was one of my favorites. Where he, exactly, he's protecting his mom from the Jew, but then it completely flips near the end to show his total change here, where he's now protecting her, doing the exact same things from the Nazis. He's now completely shifted. Yeah, it's really a well done movie. Again, I've seen it like four times now, and every time I catch little details, I like even more. Just little stuff like that is really artsy, and I just love the way Taika Waititi makes movies. Same. No, I, watching this really makes me excited for anything else he has to do. Okay, so now Jojo, again, his world has been turned upside down. He is harboring a Jewish person in his attic. He knows that's punishable by death for his mother, if at least, if not him, too. So he goes back to Captain K, and this is one of the funniest scenes in the movie where where it's at the swimming pool, and Captain K is sitting there, and, and Jojo comes up and wants to ask him about Jews. Like, how would I know if I saw one? Exactly, yeah. And he's like, well, if you see one, what you do is you just report to the officials, they'll kill them, maybe they'll kill some other people too. You know, there's <laughs> some dangerous times. They just may kill a few people just to be safe here. Uh, they'll, they'll murder anybody involved. <laughs> yeah, Rockwell, he just kills that line. That line is so awesome. He goes, uh, you tell us and we will go tell the Gestapo and then they go and kill the Jew. And maybe anyone who helped the Jew. And because these are paranoid times, maybe a couple of other people as well. It's a pretty drawn out process. <laughs> so uh so they ask him why do you ask about jews he's and jojo says well i just don't know what it would be like if i ever saw one how would i recognize it and so and so they start naming all these things well they have horns and i've heard they fly and this is where i think captain k suggests the idea maybe someone should write a book about jews so we know how to identify them yeah and this will be the plot of really the rest of the movie that jojo will eventually give elsa a chance not because he likes her but because he wants to write a book and learn about jews yeah exactly and then they also bring up the uh he brings up the idea that jews have mind control powers and even rockwell is like really i've never heard of that and that's where we get rebel coming in and be like oh no it's true uh, my uncle uh he was mind controlled to be a drunk and be a gambler and to cheat on his wife uh yeah they definitely can do that 
Oh yeah, it was all the Jews' fault that hypnotized. Yeah, him. yeah, and then she was like, and he died somehow, which was totally not connected. But we still think it's the Jews. You know, it's it's all connected. You know, like total ridiculousness that makes no sense. I'm glad you compared this movie to the producers. Now I'm thinking about it. Mel Brooks must have loved this movie. <laughs> Now, wait a minute. The Producers is not in the 20s or the 2010s, so have you seen The Producers? <laughs> no, I ha of course I haven't. I just heard of it. Uh, non you know, if it was 1920, I would have. Well, you should see that one. That one matches this one in its audacity. The uh, your, your jaw will drop the first time you see Springtime for Hitler, the musical. Yeah, I actually really wanted to watch it, so I ordered it. Uh, and so the movie came in because I wanted to watch it before we did this podcast because I've heard they're very similar. Um, but unfortunately, apparently there's a remake, which has, uh, Ferris Bueller in it. So I got that. Yeah. They made it into a stage version and then they filmed the stage version later. So you saw the remake, which I don't like at all. I like the original yeah. much better. Uh, I started the first five minutes like, what? This is, wait, where's Mel Brooks? Uh, never mind. I'm not watching this. So I gotta wait. Okay. Well, there you go. Make sure you watch the producers. Uh, so, so anyway, so yeah, Jojo's going to write the book on how to identify a Jewish person. So he goes back to his attic and goes to Elsa and, I love her lines. Like, she has so many little snippy lines about him. She's like, JoJo's like, uh, tell me everything about the Jewish race. And she's like, okay, well, we're like you, but we're human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just takes the piss out of him every time. Oh, yeah, the beginning, she's so hilarious. Like, yeah, she doesn't hold back at all. He tells her to draw uh, where the Jews live. And so she draws his stupid head, and he's like, what? this is just a photo of me. It's just my head. And she's like, yeah, that's where they live. Like, they're in your head. That is fantastic. The first time I watched it, that's the line that jumped out at me. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, that is great writing. And then, yeah, the, she's like, uh, well, obviously the Jews, we are, we're Jews are demons, and we love money. But she goes, but we're also allergic to food. Food kills us instantly. So if you want to kill me up in the attic, just bring me food every day. <laughs> yeah, she's hilarious. She's really fun. Yeah, we'll see more of her hurt. Her character will grow later. But at the start, she's just a badass. That At one point, yeah, JoJo's like, well, we're the superior race. Aryans are much superior to Jews. And she's like, oh, really? And she basically just beats him up and takes away his knife again. And he's like, you can't beat me up. I'm the superior race. She's like, well, I just did, and I'm a girl, so fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly what the line was. <laughs> All right, so the plot's going to move forward after that last moment where Hitler and JoJo are going to see – the mom, Scarlett Johansson, burning something in the fireplace. We don't know what it is. What it turns out what it is later is anti-German propaganda to inspire people to rise up against the Nazis. His mom is going to get in a lot of trouble later for that, but we don't know that yet. But now we have one of the standout scenes in this movie, the dinner scene. There's a lot going on in the scene. I have like three pages of notes just from the scene alone. Oh, wow. I, uh, I think I have three pages total. I mostly just memorize this film off by heart. But yeah, the dinner scene is fantastic. It was one of the first scenes that really made me realize everything is so well written. Like all of JoJo's, uh, you know, all of JoJo's needs clash with his mother's needs in this scene. As she says, the table is Switzerland. Like, let's just try and enjoy our dinner. But it's so layered where she's intentionally leaving food out. So she can give it to, obviously, Elsa later in the night. And Jojo picks up on this instantly and is now saying, well, if you're not hungry, I guess I'll just eat the extra food. And it's just so gross and terrible and interesting to see these two. Yeah, then the thing that I notice on multiple viewings is how well this scene sets up the end of the movie. Where the mom, you see at the start of uh, dinner, it's just her and Jojo. She's kind of dancing to music. And he's like, why are you dancing, mom? 
And she's like, well, because the war is almost over and Germany is losing and the allies are almost here and we're all about to be overrun by Americans and Russians. And Jojo is furious. He's like, why would you do that? Why does that make you happy? And she says, well, because war is pointless and stupid. I just want my country back. The sooner we have peace, the better. And they just yell. But it all comes back to this idea of dancing. When you're happy, life is all about dancing. That's what you do when there's joy in the world. That's what the first thing you do when there's freedom. And this will come back later in the movie. But this whole scene is about the idea of her dancing and he being very upset that she's dancing. Exactly. And I didn't realize this, obviously, during the first watch. But a few watches later, you see her and Jojo dancing at the end of the scene. And it cuts to Elsa sitting there alone, just all by herself, not dancing at all. And it's just such a, obviously when you see this film tons of times, you realize how powerful that scene is. Uh, really great. Yeah. Although we do have the other moment here, and this is probably the scene, I believe Scarlett Johansson got nominated for an Oscar, right? Yeah. Probably for this scene where she's yelling at Jojo, he's yelling at her, and then uh, he's like, you don't get it. You don't get my pride for Germany, mother. If dad were here, he'd get it. And so she's like, oh, you want your father to be here, really? And she smears uh, like uh, ash from the fireplace on her face and basically role plays his father yelling at Jojo. Yeah, it is intense. And then she's like, it's a scene where the father and the mother are talking and she's playing both roles. Yeah, it's one of those scenes where you just love it more and more on multiple watches. Like, it's just so powerful how she is yelling at him as the father because he's saying he wants his father back uh, in the middle of this fight. And then she kind of has this discussion with herself. It's like this one-person show here, like some stand-up routine. And then she eventually goes back uh, and apologizes. And it's really, really powerful. I love it. Yeah, that's a great scene. And again, the mother, I guess we had to spoil it. The mother will not be in this movie for too much longer, so enjoy her while she's here. It's going to be a big moment later where the mom is killed by the Nazis. It's a, that's, a, that's a gut punch. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Okay, so here's where the relationship between Jojo and Elsa really starts to take off. Is uh, he, gives, he basically just gives her a tablet. He's still lording over her, giving her commands. He says, draw pictures, draw all this stuff, and blah, blah, blah. And this is where we find out where she has a fiancé named Nathan. And this is a big plot point. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorites. I think the Nathan storyline is uh, really, really interesting because it kind of shows Elsa and Jojo's relationship throughout. It's like how they treat Nathan is how they treat each other. Yeah, it's very interesting because there's a real guy, Nathan. She's got a fiance. He uh, was taken away. He was part of the resistance. She's now heart sick and she's explaining this. And Jojo at first doesn't get it because he doesn't understand love. He's only 10 years old. He's like, well, that's stupid. Why do you care so much about someone? She's like, someday you will understand this when you're a man, you're a little bit older. You'll have this feeling in your stomach when you think of someone, butterflies. And he's like, that is stupid. That is just ridiculous. And But this will come back later that he's going to have a little crush on Elsa. He will start falling in love with her. But uh, this is where when he learns she has a fiance, he's going to play a cruel trick on her and write a letter from Nathan to her. Yeah, he's going to pretend to be Nathan. Uh, he's going to have a fake letter that Nathan wrote, uh, and he reads it off to Elsa about how Nathan is moving on from Elsa, now has a new girlfriend he does the tongue kiss with, and he no longer is in the resistance and has gotten fat. Yes. He's just cruel. Again, JoJo is just a little asshole in this movie up until about this scene. And this is the scene that really turns because he writes this really cruel letter to Elsa that your fiancé has dumped you for another girl. He never loved you. Ha ha. And she just kind of storms off because that's the one thing she's been clinging to in her life that, as we know, as far as we know. And then Jojo feels bad. 
And this is the first time he really starts to see her as a person. He writes a second letter where he says, oh, I found another letter from Nathan, and this one's much nicer. This one apologizes. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what makes the Nathan storyline so great is he first uses it against Elsa, and then he immediately steps back and realizes, hold on, she was hurt by this. This isn't really what I thought she would have been this isn't what I thought she would have reacted like, but he immediately goes back and writes a letter about how Nathan is sorry. He still loves her. He's still fat though, but he is definitely <laughs> trying to uh, kind of redeem himself here. Yeah. So Jojo and Elsa's relationship is going to take all these twists and turns. And now he starts to feel a little bad for her. He starts to see her as a person. And even though she's mad at him, she thinks it's kind of cute that he's writing these letters from her fiance. And the, we see scenes of them arguing over like, who's created more culture in the world, Germans or Jews. And, and Jojo will always storm off because he loses because she always wins. She's smarter. But she does say, uh, if you find any more of those Nathan letters, would you let me know? But she just thinks it's kind of cute that he's actually trying to get to know her. Yeah. Yeah, no, she really likes the Nathan letters. And yeah, I do like how he's like, oh, you're just making up names now. Like, <laughs> you're not winning. No way. And then he just storms off. Yeah, Elsa will win every single time. But their relationship will start to get a little more... Uh, What's the right word? Where they're on the same level later. Okay, first, now we have Mom's last big scene in the movie. This is Scarlett Johansson. And this is a scene I didn't really appreciate the first time I watched this movie, the scene with them on the bike down by the river. But, man, on repeat watchings, this absolutely sets up the ending, and it's so good. It sets it up perfectly. Uh, when she's dancing on the top of the wall and he's looking at the shoes as she's dancing, such a great scene. Yeah, this is, okay, so... She's just spending a fun day out with her son, and she's like, I know there's still a little boy in there somewhere. You're not all Nazi propaganda yet. And she's teaching him, you know, I want you to experience love and romance one day, and I want you to experience life and live every day to its fullest. And, and they talk about love, and she's like, I like this point where she says, you know, love is the strongest thing in the world. And he's like, false metal is, mom. <laughs> yeah, total 10-year-old thing. He's like, missiles, mom, you're wrong. Yeah. But she says, you're doing, you're, you're growing up so fast, Jojo. I wish you'd slow down and do little boy things like climb trees and like paint pictures. And she's like, I don't know why you do war things. And here's the quote of the movie. And again, I wish I have this underlined and circled about 20 times on my notes just to make sure I got this right. She says, and again, this is so Harold and Maude. You haven't seen it yet, but my listeners may have seen it where she says, you know, Jojo, life is a gift. We must celebrate it. We have to dance to show God we are grateful to be alive. And she starts dancing there on the top of a wall right next to him. And he's kind of rolling his his eyes and stuff, just doesn't want any part of this. And she says, remember, be grateful for every day you're alive, Jojo. Dance, live, love. And she says, dancing is for people who are free. It is an escape from all this. And she kind of points to everything around in Nazi Germany. And Jojo, of course, just refuses. I don't dance. It's stupid. And this is really the last scene between the two of them in the movie. The last thing she ever really says to him is, dance, that's how you show you're alive. Yeah, no, I agree. I was really her final scene here, telling Jojo to dance because you're free, dance because you're alive. Uh, the theme of dancing, which on the first watch doesn't seem super relevant, uh, is a very important underlying, underlying theme here. Yeah, and as the movie goes along now, we're going to phase the mom, and it's really just going to be about Elsa and Jojo him getting to know her, her getting to know him. They hang out every day together. He still hates her because she's a Jew, but he is starting to develop a little crush on her, and she's starting to think he's cute like a little brother. She kind of is amused by his antics, and they're going to start to get closer and closer together despite their best interests. 
Yeah, no, totally. And I think that's what makes this film so great is they really do a good job making their relationship feel genuine. Like they really do hate each other at the beginning. And at the end of the film, you believe that these two really are best friends and they really want to look out for each other. They're a family. So I think the progress, uh, especially during some of these scenes, are uh, really, really important and they work. Yeah, absolutely. And as they're getting closer together, as Jojo is learning that this girl is just like him, just some girl who's had her family torn away, He, uh, you see Hitler. He's still hanging out with his imaginary friend Hitler. But Hitler is getting increasingly more and more suspicious that Jojo is starting to like this girl, and Hitler doesn't like it. I like, there's a scene, this one always makes me laugh, where uh, Hitler's laying in Jojo's bed. like He's a grown man in an SS uniform, and he's like, I can't believe this girl is getting between us, Jojo. Is this weird? This shouldn't be weird, but it's weird now, isn't it? And he's like, why should this be weird? As he's laying in the child's bed. Yeah, and then he's like getting up. He's like, I warmed it up for you, Jojo, because that's what a real friend is. <laughs> I, You know, Waititi had, must, have, must have had so much fun making this movie. <laughs> yeah, it kind of made me realize I don't really have any real friends because I've never had someone warm up my bed for me. <laughs> Well, you could you could come up with an imaginary Hitler, I would imagine. <laughs> there he's, you go. He's a free agent these days. I don't know if anybody else is hanging out with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, Hitler gives last advice. Again, he's not going to be able to control Jojo too much longer in this movie. But he tells him, he's like, you know, don't let that Jew brainwash you. You know, don't let her boss your German brain around. You, you go out there and you tell her who's boss and you show your book to the world that you're learning about Jews. So Hitler still has control over Jojo for now, but that will not last too much longer. Yeah, and on this rewatch, I noticed uh, this little scene here uh, where he's telling Jojo to show the book. Um, for that, Jojo and Elsa are working on the book once again, and they're listing off uh, tons of things Jews love. And Elsa says, oh, yeah, they love shiny things as she's playing with some of the jewelry on the table. And Jojo goes, oh, and they also love ugly things. Jews love ugly things. And he's writing that down, and then he looks up and he looks at himself in the mirror, and he sees the deformed face since you know from the explosion – and he kind of pauses and realizes that uh, maybe Elsa does love him and maybe she really is close friends with him. And he goes down to talk to Hitler, as we said. He warms up the bed and tells him to show the book. And at the very end of that scene, Jojo asks Hitler, am I ugly? And Hitler, without even a blink, goes, yeah, you are. Which I thought was the first sign Jojo is imagining Hitler isn't proud of him and realizing maybe the Nazis aren't really for me and I'm closer to Elsa. And I thought that was really the first sign where Jojo realizes, yeah, you know what? The Nazis aren't the best. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's one thing I look for when I see movies like this where a character does a 180 shift in their mindset from the start to the end. I always look, does the movie cheat? Do they just jump ahead when they shouldn't be? Like, does Jojo make the turn to, to distrusting the Nazis way too quick? But the more I watch it, I don't think this movie cheats at all. It's very good at gradually getting there. Yeah. Yeah, they do little things like that where they kind of sprinkle it in. Jojo starts to very slowly realize that uh, he relates more to Elsa than he does to these terrible people. Absolutely. And it's going to come even more so in the upcoming scenes. So uh, let's see. We have a couple scenes of Mom and Elsa. Mom's always up in the attic. I always forget these scenes are in here where Mom is – she's also kind of a surrogate to Elsa because apparently Elsa was friends with the, the dead sister of Jojo's dead sister – so this is like a girl that the mom knew, and the mom gives her life advice, like one day you'll be a woman, you'll experience love, you'll experience regret, one day you'll get there. So the mom is the mother to both children, even though the children hate each other. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And I do like the moment where she tells Elsa, 
that she's lucky to be alive and she's lucky to live. And then Elsa goes, am I really living? Like, is am I really alive right now? Like, she's just stuck in this terrible position. I think uh, it does a good job setting up, uh, you know, how, how terrible of a spot she is. Yeah. And the mom does give her good advice, too. You know, even though you're not fully alive, still appreciate the fact that you're here every day. Make every day special. And again, this is just good life advice for people in general, especially you know, not to date the podcast too much, but we're recording this in 2021 in the middle of these huge pandemics where everyone's depressed. Like a movie like this is really important to watch for people like it. It rem reminds you to live every day and appreciate what you have every day as a gift. So like that's that's not a small thing for people to be reminded of. No, for sure. Okay, so let's get to the scene where uh, it's kind of a game changer where Jojo is still kind of confused. He doesn't know what to do. He goes back to Nazi headquarters, shows his book to Captain K, which is uh, it's called Yuhu Jew. <laughs> but they're wondering, they're wondering, where are you getting all this research about Jews? So Jojo starts getting a little suspicious. Oh, they kind of know. I was going to say, I also like that scene because Rockwell's showing off his uh, new uniform to Jojo and... Uh, it just cracks me up how he's trying to explain why this is such a great uniform. He's like, oh, the feathers are for aerodynamics and uh, the sparkles is to, like, confuse the enemy. The boots, that's just for, uh, the, you know, that, that's just for decoration. <laughs> There's a great throwaway joke in this scene, and I don't know. Most people catch it, but if you haven't seen this movie in a while, you don't remember it. The German Shepherd joke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's like a total, like, SNL bit. Like, it's really so out there, but it's hilarious. Yeah, so uh, these German soldiers have been sent out to get these war dogs to bring back to the village because the village is about to be overrun by Americans and Russians. So they told them to go out and get some German shepherds, but the Nazi was stupid and just brought back some literal shepherds from the countryside thinking that's what they meant. And he's like, no, German shepherds, the war dogs, not literal German shepherds. Just a fun little wordplay joke. Yeah, yeah, a really fun, you know, just talking with you, just having fun. <laughs> so here we go, so... Uh, Captain K gives Jojo another mission here because Jojo can't fight. So he's like, you know, we don't really have any more propaganda posters. And we're kind of the war's almost over. And I told your mom I'd give you something to do. So he has them go around and collect scrap metal <laughs> for the war effort. Jojo has to wear this ridiculous robot costume and walk around the village and collect metal. And this is where first he sees Yorkie again. Yorkie's a full soldier now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yorkie's, Yorkie's killing for the Fuhrer. Yeah, and, and, and you know, he look, yeah, it's, it's great to see a 10-year-old boy in that little outfit. He, he looks hilarious. I love Yorkie. <laughs> so Yorkie's a full-on soldier now, this little fat kid. But Jojo also sees his mom walking around town passing out leaflets. And he's like, what is mom doing? She's sneaking around doing something. And again, this is the mom is part of the resistance. She's actually passing out pamphlets that say, free Germany, join the cause. And this is a really bad thing to do when traitors in the town are getting hanged. And this is going to come to a conclusion in about two scenes. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it definitely sets up what's about to happen. But, it, you know, uh, you, you still aren't expecting it. You don't, yeah, I, I never saw it coming the first time watching it. That's for sure. Okay, so before we get to the finale of this movie, the last couple scenes are really powerful. You're not, you think this is a light comedy and it's not going to be a light comedy real soon. But, uh, yeah, so we get JoJo's crush on Elsa grows that he, like, brings her art supplies because she likes to draw. And he's like, you know, we could never – they start talking about love and romance, and she's like, would you like me to kiss you one day for your first kiss? He's like, no, we could not because uh, I'm a Nazi and you're a Jew. And she flat out tells him, you're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're a 10-year-old boy who likes dressing up and being part of a club. That's all you are. Yeah, and then after he says that, he realizes he has butterflies in her stomach when she talks to him, and he's falling in love with Elsa. He's very concerned, and again, 
silly little movie, uh, you know, the two kids falling in love. But it's going to get deadly serious here in the very next scene, as I can only describe this next scene as the Heil Hitler scene. Yeah, it's a very cute and happy scene where she's doing the same things that she did, that, that his mother did, as we already discussed. She's having a bath, she's getting dressed, and he's protecting her. And that's where he realizes he has those butterflies in his stomach and he falls in love with her. And it's crazy how it's such a happy, enjoyable scene and it transitions to immediate, like, stress. Like, the Hail Hitler scene is insane. Very intense. Yeah, this scene is, I, I would never forget this scene. It's, it's, you think this movie's a little light comedy and it gets really tense. So, uh, kind of, I'll set the scene up, I'll, I'll let you walk people through it, but one day it's just Jojo and Elsa hanging out at the house talking about love and romance and stuff, and now the Nazi Gestapo shows up to see if there are any Jews are being hidden here because they have tracked down that his mother is part of the resistance. Yeah, so they realize that obviously his mother uh, has you know, been involved with the resistance, so they're coming inside to see if she's hiding any Jews, and obviously this is where we get uh, a mix of stress and comedy. Like It's a bit of a drama and comedy here where they're doing such a serious thing. They're trying to hunt down Elsa, who's upstairs, but at the same time, we get the comedy effect of them all saying hail Hitler to each other uh, <laughs> over and over again to quite a dramatic effect. <laughs> okay. So the lead of the Gestapo is Stephen Merchant, a famous British comedian who uh, he, he, he made The Office with Ricky Gervais, really famous British comedian. I don't know at what point they decided this guy should be the leader of a Nazi Gestapo, but he's perfect because he's like six foot seven. He's a huge, tall guy. He just leers over people. He shows up and it's like a Raiders of the Lost Ark with all the Nazis and their black coats and black hats. And they're there for nefarious purposes. They are there to hunt for Jews, kill any they find and arrest Jojo's mother. So this is a tense scene. But like Quentin said, every time one of the Nazis enters the room and talks to another one, they have to heil Hitler each other. And literally, there's like so many Heil Hitlers in the scene. Oh, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler. He literally says, oh, I'm sorry, we were Heiler, Heil Hitlering each other when you walked in. <laughs> yeah, he was like, first we were Heil Hitler and the boy, then we're Heil Hitler and you, and then we're Heil Hitler and Elfie. Like, yeah, so over the top. But Captain K shows up here. Again, the one Nazi guy who's kind of sympathetic to Jojo. He shows up. He's bringing Jojo a new bike. And so he's there when the Gestapo is checking. And, and the Gestapo leader loves Jojo because Jojo... They go in the room, and Jojo has posters of Hitler on the wall. Like some people that have baseball players on the wall. There's Hitler posters all over. And the Gestapo goes like, the Gestapo guy is like, I love this little guy. I wish more little boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> yeah, a lot of great lines. But they do notice that something is amiss because Jojo is missing something as part of his uniform. What's that? He's missing the knife. We've been told over and over, no stabbing and no uh, losing the knife. Yeah, this is a big one. A little Aryan youth without his knife in its pouch. That's a big deal because you're that's an insult to the uniform. And so the Gestapo guys asked Jojo where his knife is. And if you remember, Elsa stole his knife earlier in the movie. So Jojo's panicked. Where's my knife? What do I tell them? And now things go from bad to worse. We're in the middle of, you know, all these Gestapo guys in the house. Elsa pops out with the knife to say, it's oh, I have it. It's mine. Yeah, so she's no longer hiding uh, in the walls. She's out there in front of everybody, in front of all of these Nazis. It is really stressful. You're on the edge of your seat waiting for somebody to slip up or say something or something to happen here with all these people in one room. Uh, it's very claustrophobic. There's like nine full-grown men in this very small bedroom. Uh, it's very, very chaotic. 
if this scene makes me realize I'd love to see Taika Waititi do a straight horror movie. Yeah, yeah, well, that and then, obviously, the introduction to Elsa. Yeah, he, he could definitely make a good horror film. Yeah, I would, I would watch anything that guy made. He's amazing. He can do all sorts of genres. But, yeah, this scene is so tense with these Gestapo guys grilling Elsa, who Elsa's trying to pass herself off as JoJo's dead sister. They don't really know he has a dead sister, but they also didn't know he had a sister to begin with. So they're grilling her and trying to figure out who she is, and it's really tense. We're watching Elsa's eyes dart around the room as all these Gestapo guys question her. And it, it culminates in a scene where they ask her for her papers. She has to have a birth certificate or something. She finds JoJo's dead sister's papers, and they start grilling her on questions to see if she is who she says she is. Yeah, so obviously uh, Captain K is the one that's holding the papers, and she has to tell what her birth date is. And so he says that it's correct. He folds the papers up. He's about to hand it to her. And then you have, obviously, Stephen Merchant saying, hold on a second. And, like, there's just dead air, just a still shot for a good few seconds and it's really stressful you think he's about to pick up the papers uh rockwell of captain k is handing it off to him he's looking nervous as well but he realizes that he finds the uh yuhu jew book yes that is the one thing that saves jojo and elsa there's all this tension in the room they suspect she may be a jewish girl hiding stephen merchant even says you know, the worst thing nowadays is the Goldilocks syndrome, these girls that pretend they're not Jewish. So he thinks that she might be pretending, but he's distracted by JoJo's little Yoo-Hoo Jew book, and they go over there, and they all start laughing at all the illustrations. So it takes the tension out of the room, and Elsa is somehow saved. Yeah, yeah, a really fun callback to obviously the book that they've been working on the whole film. And you get two moments there where you realize Rockwell is protecting them. One, he pretends that that was the correct birth date, and two... He looks at Jojo and uh, Elsa pretends that she's been making this book, and he instantly knows that something's up. Yeah, that's a very important point. I'm glad you pointed that out, that Ca Captain K, the one guy, Sam Rockwell, not really all that invested in the Nazi cause anymore, just riding it out, kind of looks after Jojo because he's friends with the mom and he knows her. He knows the jig is up right here, that he knows because he's been holding the birth certificate looking, and when Elsa gives the date, it's wrong. He lies on her behalf and says it's correct to protect her and Jojo, but he knows from that minute that Jojo's lying, this girl's Jewish. He knows everything, but he doesn't turn them in. So Captain K is the one who really saves Jojo and Elsa at the end. Yeah, at this point we can call him Captain OK because he's a pretty good guy. <laughs> that was good. I didn't think of that. I just thought of that now, actually. But I also think on a rewatch it makes that scene more powerful because when Stephen Merchant says, hold on a second – Captain K, you can tell that he thinks he's up. Like, he's handed the papers, and he's ready to also be killed here. Like, he thinks he's now caught as well. Yeah, that there's a lot at stake in this scene. I cannot overstate that enough. Just watch this scene. This is, I think, the best scene in the movie. Although, there's another little thing that I kind of forgot about when I, until I watched it today, is that when the, the Gestapo are reading the Yuhu Ju book, they get to the end of the book, and the end of the book is just JoJo writing all the ways he would like to kill Elsa fian Elsa's fiancé, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> so they think it's hilarious. Oh, look, die, die, Nathan, die, this section. And Elsa kind of gets this little smile on her lips like, oh, my God, JoJo has a crush on me. He just thinks about how to kill my fiancé. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, pretty – and he really – you know, uh, JoJo's got a pretty wild imagination. He's, like, getting shot out of a cannon. He's, like, getting rolled over by a bicycle. Yeah, he's, he's all over the place. Yeah, and then after the uh, after the Gestapo leaves, it's just Elsa and Jojo in the room all by themselves, and they know the game is up. Like, just the fact that they're asking around, they're sniffing around this house, they'll be back. She's like, I'm I'm dead. I'm a dead girl. 
And JoJo says, well, maybe we could pass you off as my sister for real. Nobody really knows my sister died. My mom never told anybody. And Elsa's just panicked. She knows she's dead. They're, they're going to come back. It's all over. And JoJo even says, I'll tell mom. When mom comes home, I'll tell her. We'll get it all straightened out. We'll pretend you're my sister. And JoJo's really on Team Elsa at this point. He, he's not really straddling the fence anymore. He wants to protect her from the Nazis straight up. Yeah, yeah. at this point, he's fully Team Elsa here. He definitely wants to protect her. Uh, it's a really sweet moment. And it's not going to last as sweet for long because we're about to get to the scene that's uh, known now as the butterfly scene. Yeah. Um, this is the scene that got me to fully love this movie, I think. I, I don't cry that many times. in like I don't cry that much during film, but this might be one of the few moments where it gets me quite a few times. I've seen it a few times. I cry almost every time. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I never saw this movie in the theater, but this is the scene I would have liked to see just to hear the gasp from the audience. Same. I didn't see it in the theater either, and I really wish I did. Yeah, okay. So we'll do our best to describe this one. So Jojo is just walking around the village. He's very depressed that the Nazis know his mom is a sympathizer now. Uh, Elsa has been seen out in public. She uh, She's in trouble. He's just wandering like his village is about to be overrun by the bad guys, the Americans and the, the Russians. And he's just wandering outside the village. And he goes, of course, to this town square where people are hung, where the sympathizers are all hung. And the reveal of this is so masterful. I cannot say enough about this. Describe just the shot. It's so great. The shot is really fantastic because he's crouched down because he's looking at the butterfly and the butterfly flies away. And so he stands up, and as he's standing up, the camera obviously lifts up with him. And so we see to the left of him the shoes and obviously the body of his mother being hung. So she's on that courtroom being hung as well, and we get to see it first. So we kind of get that moment of, oh, my God, this is what's going on right now, and he doesn't. He's still looking at the butterfly, so we have a few seconds to kind of collect what just happened. So by the time he notices it, we can then – kind of realize how he's reacting. So we kind of get that double whammy of, oh my gosh, we're shocked, and oh my god, he's watching his mother die. And it's a really crazy scene. Obviously, throughout the film, he can't tie his own shoes, so she ties it for him, which is another reason why the shoes emphasize so much, because uh, we keep getting crouched down shots of her tying his shoes, so we get to see hers, which makes the shot more powerful. And he can't tie her shoes. He's trying to tie her shoes, but he can't. And he eventually gives up and holds her close and cries. And it's it's a really, really powerful scene. Yeah, this one is rough. And again, I just the way the shot is, is he's just kneeling down and he stands up and right next to her is his mother's shoes. Now, you never see Scarlett Johansson's face. You don't see her dead or anything. But you see her shoes and they're dangling right there with all the other hanging people. And Jojo doesn't even recognize it for a couple seconds. And oh my God, like I said, I would have loved to see the audience gasp when that happens in the theater, because you're not expecting that at all, that the mom's going to die. And Jojo, I mean, Jojo, his life is wrecked here. He, this kid has a nervous breakdown when he sees his dead mother. Yeah, which uh, for pretty good reason, I imagine. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. And I also love, in uh, after we get that reveal, it's all these cuts of the rooftops of all the houses around the town square. And it's all these window shots that look like their eyes. Uh, the the production design for these houses make it look like it's all these eyes in the building to show that the town was always watching. The town saw her bring out this propaganda against the German Nazis, and the town is what killed her. And I thought that those shots of the windows looking down on Rosie and Jojo, 
a really cool depiction of what happened. It's funny. I remember I saw a list sometime last year on some website. It was like the hundred most downbeat scenes in movies of all time or the hundred most emotional scenes in movies of all time. And one of them was on there. The movie was only a year old, but they said Jojo Rabbit, the butterfly scene. And I'd only seen the movie once. I didn't remember that there was a butterfly in this scene. So I didn't, well, what scene is that? So now I realize which scene they're talking about. Yeah. If they ever show this movie in theaters again, and you see it with people who have never seen it before, wait for the gasp when you see the mom's shoes. That would be audible every time. Yeah. Laser's probably looking at that scene and going, what was so depressing about him getting butterflies for Elsa? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. He got butterflies in his stomach. I don't get it. What's that's, that's not depressing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, yeah, so JoJo's world changes when his mom dies because it's just him now. He's the only one. Apparently in this village, they kill the mom and there's no thought in what to do with the kid. JoJo is now an orphan. Well, his dad is off at war, maybe never to come back. His uh, mom is dead. He goes home and it's an interesting reaction what he does with Elsa the first time he sees her. Yeah, yeah, he goes up to Elsa, and it's just such a huge moment, and the score is, like, blaring in your ears. Like, you're overwhelmed with what, with what's going on, and he just storms right over to Elsa with the, you know, with, with the with the Hitler knife, and he just takes the knife and just stabs her. But he does, like, he intends to do it forcefully, but as soon as it hits, he stops. And it's because, like, he wants to blame her for what happened, but as soon as he touches her with the knife, he realizes that she's not the one to blame. Yeah, he tries. He's weak, both physically and mentally. He can't do it. And he just goes and cries. And Elsa learns what happened, that the mom has died. And it's really just her and Jojo. And this again, it's all emotional scenes from here on out that this movie that started so goofy with the Beatles, Hitler comparison with El Jojo blowing himself up with a grenade, the funny first 10 minutes. It is not funny at all here that they're going to talk about uh, what their lives are like and how they have things in common. And she basically comforts poor Jojo. And then she explains, she's like, you know, you're just like me. We're orphans of war now. Like she explains your father, he's gone. He's missing. He's part of the resistance. He was probably killed. She also explains her, her, her fiance, Nathan is also dead. So both of them have nobody in the world at this point. They are both equals. They're both orphans of a horrible, horrible war. Yeah. And so then Jojo asks her the question because now he's starting to think what, like, you can tell that he also wants this to end. He no longer is rooting for the Nazis. He wants the war to be over and for him to, and for them to lose. So the first thing Jojo asks is what would she do if she ends up being free? And she said the first thing she would do is dance. Yeah. And that's been the story of the whole movie. That's freedom equals dance. You dance when things are good and happy and just to celebrate life. And again, like you said, Quentin, she heard Jojo and his mom dancing in the kitchen during that one day, and you could see how wistful she was. That's what she wants to do. When she's free, she will dance. That's how she will show that she's safe now. Yeah, but it's just a wonderful poignant shot of them just looking out a window together at night. You see explosions off in the background. You can see they both hate war. War is a terrible, terrible thing. And you can see all the enemies closing in on their village. That It's, it's all going to be over in a matter of days. Yeah, and we get that little montage of Jojo and Elsa. Uh, they're the only family they have left is each other. They're in the bedroom. It's this really cool pan of them everywhere writing letters for Nathan as well as Nathan. Uh, and now we're at war. Now we're finally at uh, the really the final acts here. Yeah, the final act. Poor Jojo again. He has no mother. He's scrounging through the garbage for food. It's ridiculous. And now here come the allies. They're all bombing the city, and it's really the last. 10 minutes of the movie and 
and, and Jojo just walking around the village. He's all, you know, despondent and hungry and starving. He's an orphan now. And he sees this. I forgot there's one big laugh here at the end of the movie with Yorkie and the rocket launcher. Yeah, yeah. He sees Jojo and he goes, oh, my gosh, it's my buddy Jojo. So he drops what he's holding and just the rocket just goes and explodes a, a building. Yes. Yorkie accidentally blows up a building. This is this is why you don't give a 10 year old a rocket launcher. Just a little tip for the parents. Yeah, a little tip for the parents out there. Yeah, okay, let me coolly write that down. Yeah. So JoJo says, hey, Yorkie, because, again, Yorkie's in a full soldier outfit, a little 10-year-old fat soldier with huge glasses. And JoJo's like, how are you doing, Yorkie? And Yorkie's like, well, we're doing terribly, JoJo. Our only friends right now are the Japanese. And between you and me, they don't look very Aryan. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great line. Yeah, no, yeah, Yorkie's great. JoJo even admits that uh, he has feelings for the Jew that's in his house and Yorkie just goes, Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Like Yorkie has been like very woke from the beginning. He's like, Oh, well, like, you know, there's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing wrong with Jews. They're not really a big deal right now. Yeah. Yorkie is a fountain of wokeness. And like, again, that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the message of the movie that, that Jojo's like, I'm in love with a Jew. And Yorkie's like, eh, whatever. There's bigger problems in the world, which is the whole message of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Although Yorkie even says, the Russians are worse than Jews. I heard they uh, eat babies and have sex with dogs. So we have to fight them off before they have sex with all our dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, 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 Yorkie's on to something. <laughs> so Yorkie's going to meet a nice Jewish girl after this as well. So, yeah, they're all going to settle down and be friends. But then Yorkie drops the news that Jojo was not aware of. It turns out someone very powerful in the uh, German army has died. Who would that be? I have no idea. There's someone powerful in Germany? <laughs> Turns out there's this loudmouth guy with a little mustache, and he has shot himself. And apparently, Jojo has not been appraised of this because he's hanging out with Hitler every day in his room, as far as he knows. But yeah, <laughs> Yorkie drops the news. Oh, by the way, Hitler's dead. He killed himself. It turns out he was actually the bad guy in all this and was doing all this bad stuff. Funny, funny about that. Yeah, it was the biggest plot twist of the film. Uh, you, you, people were gasping at his mother dying, but they were shocked when they heard Hitler was bad. Yes, this is like the Darth Vader, I'm your father reveal. It's the, uh, <laughs> yeah, people are like, wait, what? Wait, he was the bad guy? Yeah. Yeah. So Jojo's mind is now completely blown. It's already blown enough. His mom's dead. He's in love with a Jewish girl. He's protecting her. Like, he hates war. But now it turns out, hey, Hitler was a bad guy and a coward, and we were all just following this idiot for all these years. And it's just his, – his world is wrecked. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then we get to the actual war here. And I think it's pretty interesting to see that it's really through the point of view of the children, obviously. And we see all the kids in the war, which definitely isn't something emphasized much in film. Yeah, and I read somewhere that Waititi shot a lot of these scenes from low, so you see it from the kid level. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, this – so the, the village is getting attacked. Rebel Wilson, Frau Rebel Wilson is there. She's like – this is a really dark laugh, but she's like sending little kids in as suicide bombers. She puts a grenade down their back of their pants says, go up and run and hug a Russian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a few dark jokes here with uh, with, with Rebel Wilson. I was shocked she was doing this. She does get blowed up real good though so that she has a good explosive death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Give him the grenades to the kids and tell them to go hug people, you know. <laughs> Although, there's a little throwaway joke I actually don't think a lot of people would catch. Is if you notice, the poor German shepherds are dying in the war, too. The, the shepherds that they brought instead of dogs. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. If you look close, you'll see them trying to pull out guns, and they don't understand how they work because they're just shepherds. Yeah, well, if the dogs were there, they would have got it. And, of course, we see Captain K in his fancy new uniform that you like so much. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a big Captain K fan, and I love Alfie as well. So when he's up there with his giant feathered uniform and Alfie's behind him with his giant, uh, you know, this giant, well, I don't know anything about music. It plays music, whatever it is. Uh, a great scene. And the end of this war scene is just terrible. It's Jojo hiding under a building. He's like a, in a cellar of some building. Everything's being destroyed. All the people he knows are in loves are being killed. And he just cries. And it's such a poignant statement on war that Jojo hates it. He wants it to end. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like war. Everyone's dying. He's terrified. And it's just, again, they don't really linger on that shot, but it just really shows how far he has come over the course of this movie. Yeah, yeah, total 180 from who we thought he was going to be in the war and to who he really is. But we do have a couple more powerful scenes here. Again, the movie's both mostly finished its narrative, but uh, JoJo's going to have one final scene with Captain K and then one final scene with Hitler. But first we'll do the Captain K one. This, this is a really powerful scene. The more I watch this one, this one really moves me. Yeah, Sam, this is one of my favorites as well, uh, right up there with his mother. But I really like how he's, you know, the, the, the Germans lost. They line him up against the wall. So he's taken captive. Jojo is lined up with all the other Germans there. And he's uh, standing beside Captain K. The two of them are standing there uh, prepared for, uh, you know, a, you know, a, a likely death for both of them. And so Captain K kind of has this heel turn, really this big redemption arc for him. I think that's actually a face turn in this one. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he turns around. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So basically, if you haven't seen this movie, Captain K is pulled aside by the Americans. The Americans are basically going to shoot all the Nazis. And Jojo is pulled out because Jojo's in a Nazi uniform. He's been in a Nazi uniform this entire movie. And the Americans are going to shoot Jojo, too. They're going to shoot this little kid. And Captain K is basically going to save Jojo. So Captain K yeah, pulls Jojo aside and says, you know, I apologize for your mother. She was a good person. And Jojo's like, yeah. And Captain K's like, no, an actual good person. She was actually doing good things in the world. And then the Captain and Captain Captain K hugs Jojo. I'm gonna, almost going to tear up just talking about this. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, here, I'll take it away from you here. So you can go cry. But, yeah, he, he gives Jojo a hug, tells him that his mother really was a good person. Uh, and then he, he sees sorry for what happened to her. And he tells Jojo to look after his sister. He says, you go back home and you look after your sister there. He takes Jojo's German uniform rips it off and then just pushes him away from the line and just starts yelling, get away, Jew, get away. He starts spitting at him. He just starts pushing Jojo away. And Jojo's trying to speak. He's trying to say, wait, what's going on? Like he's just a confused 10 year old boy. And the Americans come in to intervene because there's some yelling going on and they go, what's going on? And Jojo's trying to say like, well, I don't know what's going on. I'm just a German boy. Just, and, but there's captain K there step in. He's over speaking every time Jojo wants to talk and he just starts yelling, this is a Jew, oh, he's disgusting, take him away, I, uh, he's, he's horrible, I don't even want to be near him. And so they pull Jojo away, thinking that he's now a Jew, and they're trying to save him from Captain K. And so Captain K basically sacrifices himself, basically protects Jojo so he can be there to look out for his sister. And so they're carrying Jojo away. It's a really great scene where Jojo's screaming for Captain K because he does like him a lot. And you just start hearing gunshots in the background. And it's a really, really interesting scene. A good send-off for Captain K. Yeah, Captain K gets machine-gunned off camera, and it's harsh. And you just see poor Jojo screaming and crying. He's lost yet another father figure. He's, he's really not having a lot of luck with fathers in this movie. But it is a sweet scene because, as like I said, some of the criticism, oh, so apparently there was a good Nazi at the end. But, I mean, you, it, that's... 
that that's the story that's been told from the minute the start of this movie that Captain K only had one foot in this movement to begin with. And at the end, he's very he decided, you know what, I can save this kid's life. This kid won't die because of me. So, you know, more power to the guy who really didn't really buy into this Aryan stuff. Yeah, especially on a rewatch, it's pretty easy. It's not even that subtle about how against this Captain K is. Like, he just wants this to be over. Uh, he's more passive about it than Rosie is, but he definitely is not pro-Nazi at this point. Yeah, he know, it's, he's resigned. It's over. He even says, the party's over, JoJo. We're done. So that's it. The, the Nazi movement has ended. Captain K went down with a ship like he was supposed to, but he did one good deed at the end. He at least saved JoJo. And and with that, we have one final send off with Yorkie, which I always forget. So after the war, Jojo has been spared. The Americans think he's a little Jewish boy. They tell him, get away from the Nazis, go run home. So he runs and he runs into Yorkie, who Yorkie's been wearing this cheap ass Nazi uniform. It's like made out of paper and it's been shredded. So now he's just sitting there in his tank top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yorkie, he's, he's a cabin. He's got tons of lies. I don't know how he survived this movie. <laughs> yeah, somehow everybody else dies but Yorkie. And so Jojo's like, what are you going to do now, Yorkie? And Yorkie's like, I don't think I want to be a Nazi soldier anymore. I think I'm going to go home to see my mother. I need a cuddle. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, uh, nothing makes sense anymore. So he and Yorkie hug. But then Yorkie does say the one thing that spurs Jojo into action the last couple minutes of the movie. Yorkie says, hey, you know what? The war's over. So, hey, your Jewish girlfriend can leave. She's probably already left. She's free now. Yeah, yeah, good realization of how this film's going to wrap up for Jojo. So he runs home, and here's our final confrontation. First, let's see, he's got a, a Elsa scene, and then a Hitler scene, and then an Elsa scene. He lies to Elsa, tells her that the war is still going, the Germans are winning, she has to stay in there, and he pretends he has another letter from Nathan. He's just trying to keep her hidden in the attic, but he knows it's not going to last too long. Although he does admit that he loves her romantically, and she says, well, I love you, but as a little brother, and that's... He, much to his chagrin, he's not too happy. But then he goes to his room to figure out what to do, and this is where he has the final blowout with Hitler. Yeah, yeah, really uh, great scene. I, first of all, I love the costumes in this film. I think the outfits are really great, but it's really noticeable here where normally Hitler's wearing this brightly red, this bright brown uniform. He's looking very friendly and cheerful. And in this final scene, He's wearing black. Like, he is looking menacing. He's got, like, blood spattered on his head. So he's, like, very intimidating looking. And he's just yelling at Jojo. So a uh, very different Hitler than what we've seen in the past. And it's because Jojo finally kind of sees him for who he is. Yeah, exactly. The mask has been torn off Hitler. He finally realizes Hitler's just an asshole that's been lying to everybody. And uh, But there's a great scene at the start of the, the Hitler scene where Jojo is looking at himself in the mirror. And at the start of the movie, the very opening scene is, I'm Jojo Betzler. I'm 10 years old, and I'm here to serve the Nazi party. I will die for Adolf Hitler. And now the very last scene in the movie, him, he sees himself in the mirror, and it's just a, mirror, a, uh, a bookend to that scene at the start. He says, I'm Jojo Betzler. I'm age 10 and a half. And instead of the second line where he says, I pledge my life to Adolf Hitler, he says, and today, I'm just going to do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really well done. Yeah. A, a great foreshadowing throughout the whole film. That's what makes it really rewatchable. And then Hitler shows up and yells at him. You, you do not love Germany. You, you have no uh, uh, patriotism for your country. You are an embarrassment, Jojo Rabbit. You are weak like a rabbit. And you have fallen in love with that thing. And this is where Jojo finally stands up to him and says, that thing is a girl and I love her. And he pulls off the swastika armband, throws it down on the ground and confronts Hitler. And 
<laughs> one of the funniest lines in the movie right here. You remember the what Hitler says when he when he realizes Jojo's standing up to him finally? Well, he's telling him to, to hail him. Yeah, he's like, uh, hail me? Hail me, buddy? Hail me, man, like the old times. <laughs> yeah, he instantly realizes that he no longer has power. He's no longer uh, who Jojo wants to be with. And Jojo himself, the little 10-year-old boy, gets to deliver an F word. And I'll let you quote this one if you'd like. <laughs> oh, I guess so. Well, if you're with kids, please cover your ears. I don't know why the kids are listening to this already. But he says, fuck off, Hitler. And he just kicks him right up the window. Yeah, that would have been a big moment to see in the theater. I would have loved to see the audience cheer when little Jojo kicks Hitler out the window and tells him to fuck off. Yeah, yeah, that would have been an epic moment. <laughs> and that's really it. Jojo has done a, an incredible uh, face turn, as we say, and he's turned into a good guy. And now he goes to Elsa and basically explains that, uh, okay, the war is over and uh, Germany lost and she gets to go outside for the first time and... <laughs> Her initial reaction is not uh, joy. She actually slaps him first. Yeah, well, because he first, he tells her that Germany what, right? And that, uh, obviously, she's no, she's still not safe. She still needs to be with him because deep down he, he doesn't want to lose his only family, right? Like his mom died, his dad died, his sister died. And now Elsa's literally all he has left for a family. So he first instinctively tells her, Germany what? Like, like you're, you're stuck with me. Like, unfortunately, like you can't leave me. Uh, but he realizes that he needs to let her go. So he takes her outside. He tells her that she needs to trust him. And we get that, gr once again, great callback to when they're at the door. And he's about to open up the door. And she asks him if it's dangerous out. And he goes, extremely, which is the same line <laughs> he said to his mom. He opens the door. And so she is first nervous that she's going outside to Germany, who he she's under the assumption that they won, but she gets to see the American flag. She realizes that Germany did lose. And yeah, that's why she slaps him. She realizes uh, he did lie to her for a few seconds. And he does fully admit, you know, I probably deserve that slap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which he did, yeah. Although, did you catch the other thing? I forgot the other, again, I didn't even notice it until this viewing. I didn't put two and two together. The last thing they do before they go outside, he says, it's very dangerous, be careful. He then leans down and ties her shoes for her. Yeah. Yeah, he finally was able to tie someone's shoes. A uh, yeah, beautiful scene. Yeah, all the whole movie, his mother's been looking after him and mothering him, and now he's come full circle. He is mothering Elsa. He's very protective of her, even though he's six years younger and she's kicked his ass repeatedly in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like 10 for 0 right now, but he's still going to help out. So, just a wonderful scene. Again, I cannot say enough about how beautiful the end of this movie is, is they go outside and, and they're just standing there in the street, and this is the first time Elsa has seen daylight in... A year or two? I have no idea how long she was up in the attic. And uh, and so uh, JoJo's like, well, what should we do now? We're out in the street. We're outside. What's We're in a free world after war. What's the first thing we should do? And I'll leave this to you to Quentin. What is the first thing Elsa would like to do now that she's free? Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. She starts dancing uh, with no music on, which is how I dance. But she first starts dancing with JoJo. And then it's this really beautiful moment where the two of them are just dancing together because they're finally free. Yeah, and it's, uh, he dances with her. That's kind of the key. She has always said when she gets out in the world, she's going to dance. And then when she's free, when she's safe, that's how you tell God you know you're still alive. She starts doing this little happy dance and kind of a faint little smile on her face. But then Jojo joins her, and Jojo is repeatedly saying he doesn't dance. Dancing stupid. He joins her. They both start dancing together and smiling. And you just know everything's going to be okay for these kids. I mean, admittedly, there's no parents. And they're in war-torn Germany, and they may starve because they have no food. But other than that, they are still alive, and they will give thanks to God every day they're still alive by doing their little dance, just as his mother taught him that day at the riverbank. 
Exactly, yeah. It's really beautiful how she told him, you dance when you're free, you dance because you're happy you're alive. And Jojo is obviously free again and happy that he's alive in this situation. So it's a really, honestly, uh, one of the perfect endings to a film. I think this is truly uh, the perfect way to end it. Yeah, it really does make me tear up. This movie makes me emotional. And the more I watch it, the more you realize how well Waititi has set it up. It's just amazing. This is one of those really amazing movies. And like I said, I saw this. I'm like, that is a Staff Picks episode. I don't care if it's a year old. I'm not waiting 10 years to talk about this movie. People need to know about this movie. Yeah, yeah. The first one or two times you watch it, you're crying at the rosy death scene. And then uh, now every rewatch, I'm crying at the dancing at the end because it's just the perfect encapsulation of the film. And uh, yeah, I was shocked when you were putting Jojo Rabbit on the list because I was like, oh, it's like a bunch of... 1980, 1990 movies, and then we got uh, 2019, you know, since <laughs> two years old. It was an exception. This is a special movie, and it's just the whole idea of making something so beautiful and a whole movie about joy and life and celebrating life out of something so dark, out of the Holocaust, you know, the Aryan propaganda, the treatment of Jews, that there's a movie that has so much life and beauty at the end of it coming out of that. Again, Harold and Maude is the other movie. You haven't seen it, but it's all about people dying and killing themselves. But appreciate every day while you're still alive because life is a gift. It's so similar to me. And again, I just I just could not recommend this movie enough. Yeah, I'm glad that of the last five years, this is the one you took away as the most powerful and most uh, underrated. Like I feel like people need to appreciate this more. And I walk away with the same understanding. Uh, this was the one movie of the last couple of years that I just think is phenomenal. Like This is going to stand the test of time for me, at least. Uh, it's got a lot to say, and it's got a lot of powerful moments. And I do think it's one that people need to either give it a first watch or maybe give a second chance to because maybe they were too, you know, uh, a little upset by how they handle some of the material. But, yeah, I think it's great. And to be fair, there is one movie that I saw five times in the theater the last couple of years. That was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> and I love that movie, but admittedly, I will, even I'll be the first to admit, it's not as special as Jojo Rabbit. There's not as much beauty and life in it. Like, I love the Tarantino movies, but this is the one. Like, did this get nominated for Best Picture? I forget. Yeah. Yeah, it did. What did it lose to? It didn't win. It lost to Parasites. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. I've seen, I'm not going to talk about Parasite, but I really wish Jojo Rabbit had won Best Picture. I love this movie so much. Yeah, personally, obviously, uh, I love this film. So I would have personally liked to see this movie win, but I, I do like Parasite, so I was fine with that. And this movie walked away with one win only, and that was for screenplay, which is awesome. This is the the only award going into the night, because I like to watch the Oscars. The only award I cared about was screenplay. And I was like, Jojo Rabbit is one of the best written films I've seen in a while. It has to win. It has to. So I'm glad it did. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, if you don't win Best Picture, it's not the worst thing in the world. You're still the second Best Picture of the year. And if nothing else, it really elevated Taika Waititi up to a new level. And again, I would watch anything that guy made. I love the way he writes dialogue. I love the way he writes screenplays. I just think, like, he's has an amazing career, I wouldn't just say ahead of him, but already going. And this movie is just the biggest example of what he can pull off. You know, to pull this movie off, I don't know if most people could have done that. Right, and this is a movie that he had written before, obviously, Thor and before uh, What We Do in the Shadows. He had this film written a while ago, but nobody wanted to make this movie. <laughs> you know, I wonder why. But this was a passion project for him. And to have him finally release this film, hopefully if he ever has a really passionate film of his again, I imagine people are going to be more interested in picking it up. And I can't even imagine what else he could do. 
Yeah, that's the thing. If anybody who could make this movie, it's uh, the sky is the limit what they can do later. That's like because <laughs> this movie is so much style based and directing based and timing based. You have to get the tone exactly right. There's no wiggle room. And he somehow pulls it off perfectly in every scene. And even to the point I was reading that all these actors love working with Taika Waititi. He just has an amazingly laid back set. They just love the way he deals with people. And even he said he was so uncomfortable wearing his Hitler uniform on set because I'm supposed to direct kids. They're supposed to trust me. And I'm wearing a fucking Adolf Hitler uniform. Yeah. So like you said, even like he was very conscientious about that. Like whenever I was directing the kids or working with them, I take off the mustache. I put a hat on. I just didn't want this fucking asshole image in their head as I'm trying to as I'm trying to get them to trust me. So he's just a great guy. Everyone seems to love this guy. And again, my wife's favorite director, my one of my favorite directors. I just love everything he does. Yeah, no, you can definitely tell that he's just a really fun guy to be on set with. People seem to love to work with him. Uh, I can't wait to see what else, whatever else he makes. And I think he got pretty lucky for making this movie because, as you guys know, uh, the the company that picked up his film was then bought out by Disney the year after. Um, and Disney was hyping. So there's two films that that company made going into the Oscar season. There was Ford v Ferrari and Jojo Rabbit. And the company, Disney put a lot of promotional material, a lot of marketing towards Ford v. Ferrari. They went, best picture nominee, woo, people love racing, and they don't mention Jojo Rabbit at all. They <laughs> pretend they don't, they, they pretend they did not buy that movie. They are like, we have no connection to this. Every other movie on, is on Disney+, Plus. Jojo Rabbit is not on Disney+. Plus. Uh, they, they are not putting that on their service. They do not want to be connected to this film. So you don't think that Disneyland's going to have Jojo Rabbit land anytime soon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll have like a little center where you can drop off your kids called like Hitler Youth where you can just play around. <laughs> yes. Ride the Yorkie cars. <laughs> <laughs> the Yorkie cars, yeah, exactly. You can play around with the uh, rockets, yeah. And don't try to stab each other. No stabbing! Yeah, so that uh, is the end of a movie that both of us think is very special. It's one of those, and I, I don't throw out compliments like this willy-nilly little stuff like this but like if you're depressed if there's anything in your life that you don't appreciate your life at the moment i would watch a movie like jojo rabbit and it will kind of keep you going that's like the highest compliment i could give to a movie because it's the whole point of the movie they even say it ends the end credits there's a quote by a uh, poet named rilke who they've been, they've been quoting all throughout the movie they even put this on the screen at the end of the movie it says let everything happen to you beauty and terror just keep going. No feeling is final. Like, oh my, like an anxiety counselor couldn't say that any better. That is such an amazing statement to say to somebody who may be a little depressed. Yeah, I don't know what this says about me, but whenever I'm in a bad mood, this is one of my go-tos. I've seen it quite a few times over the last two years because, you know, it's got some jokes to cheer you up. But at the end of the day, like you said, you walk away feeling like you're like happy you're alive. Like you want to dance. You feel like you can just enjoy living. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, just great. And then, of course, the movie does end with another Beatles song. Did you realize that? Oh, I did not. No, I... <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. There's no Beatles song at the end. <laughs> okay. I was like, I only know the one Beatles song now. That's all I got. Yeah, no, the, I forget how the movie ends. But again, just a wonderfully sweet and moving movie with something very poignant to say about life that uh, just keep moving day after day. No feeling is final. Appreciate when you're there because there's one day you may not be there. And I, I don't know how to say it any better than that. Yeah, yeah. A great ending. A really great film. So do you have anything else to say about uh, Jojo Rabbit before we sign off here? 
Uh, no, I don't got anything to say. Uh, it's one of the few films I would say is perfect, uh, which you know I don't throw around often. Um, I only have like six films I would put in that hierarchy. This is one of them. It's a really great film. Uh, and I think on rewatch, it just makes it more and more powerful. So if you've seen it once, you don't love it, uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's great. Okay, now I'm curious. What are the other five movies you would say are perfect? Or if, if you could name a couple. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I really love Brand Budapest Hotel. That's another one that really cheers me up. Um, but I also love good screenplays. So 12 Angry Men and Social Network, I think they're both just super fun dialogues. So uh, this is probably one of the few that come out in the last five years besides Budapest. Okay, but no 1920s movies? Uh, no, no, they, they didn't make the cut. They're they're good, they're good. <laughs> no no Fatty Arbuckle movies that you thought are perfect? Yeah, yeah, Charlie Chaplin, you know, might be one of my favorite directors. He's the only guy I've seen, but, uh, you know, he's not there yet. Okay, well, I'm excited for you to get to the movies in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's when I'll return when I finally start watching, uh, you know, uh, the good decades. It's funny, a lot of people say the 70s was the peak of cinema. A lot of people say that's the best decade for movies. I like the 70s for horror, but I personally think the 90s were the best decade for movies. So I'm excited to bring you back for a 90s movie one day. Yeah, I have uh, I, I'm on Letterboxd, and so it like outlines what I like to watch. And right now, according to that, uh, apparently my favorite decades are the 80s and 90s. So I guess I got to visit that more. Okay. The 80s is one I have a love-hate relationship with. I, I think the 80s is super overrated when it comes to comedies. But there are some cool dramas in there and some other stuff going on. But it's, in general, I think... Uh, 80s movies tend to be, uh, people think of them as the teen John Hughes stuff, but there's more interesting stuff than that. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's what people remember is like the, the Goonies and the John Hughes, but yeah, I think the 90s is, uh, I, don't know, I feel like that's a very like iconic decade. Yeah, I, I personally think movies peaked in the 90s. That's about the peak of what they could do in movies, and then they started to get taken over, taken by special effects after that, but that's just a, that's a whole different uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. That sounds right. Okay, well, you did very well for your first Staff Picks episode. I want to thank you for stopping by. And again, that's a tough movie to talk about, so I think we, you did a pretty good job. Okay, Whew, all right. <laughs> we'll see if I get canceled when this is released. But yeah, no, I had a really good time. And tell people about your podcast. How can they reach you if they want to hear your other stuff? Oh, uh, my podcast is called Pop Topics. I'm sure you can just find it on any uh, podcast and network. But we pretty much discuss movie news or oscar films and every month we release a franchise ranking where we rank a bunch of films so you know uh, more movie stuff all right uh you can go check out quentin's podcast if you want to hear more about modern movies again i don't delve into modern movies too much this is i don't know if i'm ever going to do a 2019 movie again it'll be quite a while probably but again that just speaks to how much i like jojo rabbits and again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be hanging out here with my imaginary friend Hitler, and I'll talk to you guys later. Hi, all guys. Bye. Hire me, for old time's sake. Hire me, little man. No. Hire me. Come no. Just a little hire. Just a little hire. Please. Fuck off, Hitler. <laughs> and don't try to stab each other. No stabbing!